Hello and welcome to the Primal MMA Coaching Podcast, an exploration of the training and development within mixed martial arts. My name is Scott Sivright, and together with my guests, we will discuss how the science of coaching, skill acquisition, and human motivation can help us design practice more effectively. No matter what your martial arts goals are, you surely all want to be better. So, let's try to be better at getting better. Okay, well, it's a short preamble today, as neither of my guests need much of an introduction. Kit Dale and Greg Souders join me to talk about getting better quicker at grappling. Kit has been preaching the skip the drills message for years, and since then, Greg has brought on a lot more of the underpinning science, research, and rationale to the conversation. Kit recently re-entered the anti-drilling space with his task-based games course, which I have provided a link for in the show notes. It's another long convo, but I think it's pretty interesting to those exploring the ecological and games-based space. I do chirp in here and there, but for the most part, I just let Kit and Greg chop it up. As always, thanks to all those who take the time to listen and reach out to me. Without further ado, Kit Dale and Greg Souders. All right, listener, listeners, please welcome Greg Souders and Kit Dale to the show. How are you? I'm good, sir. Welcome to be back here for the 45th time. All right, so we uh, threw this together in a hurry. Uh, we reached out today. You and Kit wanted to chop it up somewhere, so I'm going to be doing most of the listening. Just want to do a little bit of full disclosure here. Um, I've actually interacted with Kit a few years ago. He doesn't fucking remember, as he was just telling me, but um, we were talking back and forward. Kit was the first guy I reached out to when I was looking at opening a gym that didn't drill and was doing fully live stuff. So also I have a soft spot for loudmouth Aussies because I knew a lot of them back in Scotland. So I'll be over both sides of the fence here, <laughs> as usual. Uh, but anyway, take it away. Before we go, when when, uh, when was that you that you reached out to me? Uh, it's got to be three years ago now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, I can't we remember. A, we had a couple of voicemails eight. going back and forward. I was just talking about, you know, the challenges we had, uh, either affiliations or, or, or getting promoted with because with, we weren't affiliated. So it was just a few back and forward. Ah, uh, no worries. Yeah, probably probably a similar position to Greg where I get quite a few messages like that uh, almost on the daily, so I, f- I forget really quickly. Um, but that's awesome. I was actually just – I just saw your message, Greg, from 2014. That's right, right? You just messaged me then. I was like, holy shit. Dude, <laughs> I just – I was I commented on YouTube videos today because, you know, people were basically, uh, you know, talking about your podcast with um, Craig, and I, I mentioned on there, like, Kit was doing this since before I even opened to school. So like I, the, the very first conversation I had with you was because I was uh, reading about non-methods of non-traditional methods. And you were the first guy that was like, oh, drilling sucks. And I was like, yeah, of course, drilling sucks. And so you and I had a conversation at Worlds. I ran up to you and I like grabbed you and I'm like, hey, man, stop. Like, my name's Greg, blah, blah, blah. And that was our first conversation that we had uh, about the no- methods of non-drilling. That's awesome, man. So cool. Like, as a, you know, I forget a lot of this kind of stuff. I, I do remember you uh, after I spoke to you. I remember that after that. But it's the same as uh, I was going through my messages the other day. And uh, who's not Tommy Langacker? Who's the other guy from Nor- Norway? Looks like Spider Man. Um, the yoga guy. I worked he's, in it was Norway one of for years. Tommy Langacker's best trained player. Really good. I think he's a, like a silver world champion or something like that um but he he messaged me as well and it was just i was trying to reach out to him for something when i was in norway 
And then I see a message from him and it was like years ago as well saying the same thing. Like, hey, man, I just want to let you know that, I, you know, I, I agree with you not drilling thing. I haven't drilled my whole life. I hate it. And and he got good really quick and like, you know, one of the best in the world. I just forget his fucking name. Um, <laughs> but it's cool to go back and see those with Facebook and stuff. Hopefully people can't see the shit. I, I mean, when I first started, I, I remember asking JT Taurus a question and he was uh, and he left me on red. So I was like devastated. <laughs> But I met him and it was pretty cool. But uh, it's it's annoying when you're, you know. I think at like the start of every journey, trying to reach out to people, like no one wants to help you. And then oh, later, no, for on, sure. Yeah, later on when you start making a lot of noise, then they come back and like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's even worse is when you're saying something controversial that nobody else believes or sees yet, and you're like, hey, man, I see this problem. Let's let's talk about it. And then everyone else is like, no, fuck that, man. It's not real. And so there's like three guys who see the problem. You're trying to all connect with them when no one knows what they're talking about yet. So. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't easy. Yeah, so we've, all, we've all got a little bit of a disappointed fanboy in us, then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think it was like it was really hard when, like, when back in 2014, when I started talking about the no drilling stuff, I got lots of hate. Uh, it's a lot different today, and I, I think a lot of it's because of you, Greg, because you've, you've pushed that. Let me just put this on silent. Sorry, you've uh, you've really done a good job to. Uh, push this style of, of learning which is great uh, it's changed a lot of the the climate because back then fuck man i i got so much hate uh i remember like just seeing videos you know this this guy kid he's so stupid man he's just a you know just whatever it is there's a lot of authoritarian arguments you know like, oh kid hasn't won a black belt world championship so yeah don't listen to him or you know how many black belt world champions has he produced i'm like i don't even have a fucking school how am i going to produce a black belt world champion well i think that's really kind of the advantage I had is that I was using it in a school with real students. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, but uh, dude, I'm getting equal, if not the same amount of hate as you, or you're getting love, you know, because people have been hearing your voice for the last 10 years and, you know, you're, you're funny and you try to communicate with everyone at all levels. And so, you know, you get a lot of positive feedback from that. Whereas, you know, I'm trying to be strict to the science. I'm trying to say, hey man, there's this way that we really, and people fucking hate me for it. So you, you either get one way or the other. Greg's great. He knows what he's talking about. Or you get the other one. Greg doesn't know any fucking thing. And they use the same excuse they used on you. Who are Greg's world champions? Well, I have them. And if, even if, even when I made one, when I had little Alex, who's been training with me since she was 12 years old, she won uh, teens pants two years in a row, her weight class and uh, her, her weight class, uh, uh, Juvenile one and two, her weight class and the absolute at world with the gi on. Then she won purple belt worlds gi and no gi. Uh, then she won brown belt pants. Um, and then she won black belt world championships, uh, no gi. And the other, and so the, both gi and no gi. I mean, she probably has like five or six world titles to her name, who, who was my student since she was a child. And uh, not even, no one even flinches at that. And what's crazy is she was unscored on for four years. Like she was dominant as fuck. Uh, she had the highest submission rate. Uh, out of like a group of athletes last year, she was the number one with like 87% submission rate. And so it's like, I, I can show you maybe one student or a few statistics or even some of my, but no one cares. No one cares. They'll find some other reason why you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Humans, humans, literally. I, I, I'll listen to polarized arguments on everything during the day. And no matter what side they're on, you give some kind of information on the other side, they're not reading it. It's just the way they are. you can you can you can show them everything they'll say yeah but has he has he produced a uh trans female uh masters world champion yet no so he's wrong you know <laughs> i think I, was... I, I, I think a, I think a lot of your hate would probably come from how callous you are with your message oh for and, sure no i agree and i was i was probably a lot more callous as well back in the day uh i'm not anymore i think i think half i just got 
I moved in different industries and I, I, I wasn't as passionate as what I, uh, as what I used to be. So I didn't, I didn't care as much. And, uh, I think I got so used to the hate of it and just thought, you know what, fuck them. They don't want to learn, don't learn. Do and the only reason like I've been able to survive in jujitsu for so long is because people, most people are learning the wrong way. If everyone was learning the way that we're talking right now, there's no way I could survive training, you know, two to three times a week and still competing at world championship level, sometimes not even training in three weeks and going to do world championships and stuff like that. There's just no way I would be able to do that. The only reason I have been able to do it is because 99.9% .9 of people, maybe not that percentage anymore, uh, are training in the most insufficient way. So it's I the same reason. It's, it's good that they have been because I've been able to survive. Otherwise, I would be fucked. You're absolutely right. I actually talked about this the other day. Someone asked me a question about what I thought about John Danner and the way he, what he was doing. And he said, you know, do you think John Danner would benefit from doing things the way you're doing? And I'm like, absolutely, because of his star power, because the people he has coming into his room, if they were doing what I was doing full scale and they could do it with the scientific rigor that I'm doing it, I think that the results they would have would be twice what they are now. Um, and it would be very difficult to compete with a man like that because of the type of bodies that are coming into his room, because the type of uh, uh, because this, the space that he occupies and he's like the king of it. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like there, there are athletes out there who are still being competitive, like what you said, with with minimal training and any other field where there's a high level of uh, trainability and the coaches know what they're doing, that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's confusing for a lot of people because you'll, you'll know this. Uh, it didn't matter who the fuck coached me. I was going to be good. I didn't listen to half the shit they said. Like I, I literally sure. came to training because I wanted to train with people. I and and this is kind of the funny thing I think with me and you is I feel like we came from different ends in a sense because I stumbled across most of this and it was only because of my own temperament. I just I had I was the type of guy that if I got on a game, if I'm playing like a console game or something, I don't read any of the directions or any of the you know instructions. I just get straight into it and then find my way as I'm going. Yeah. And I and I, I really didn't like the technique portion of training. I just found I found it really fucking boring. And I felt really early that it was so inefficient. Like I couldn't do it. I couldn't remember half the shit I was doing. The only time I would actually remember it is if I was like really focusing on it and I started bringing it into my specific training or uh, sparring rounds where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and get this Kimura. I'm going to try. And then I started figuring it out. But not none of the drilling helped me uh, one bit other than maybe just some kind of like an idea of a possibility. Um, well, but I think that's where, where the oh, – sorry. I mean, okay, keep going. Keep going. No, I think that's where the gap is. And that's actually the space that I'm trying to occupy here is I think there's a bridge between, um, you know, trying to take what we know historically about jiu-jitsu and drilling it in a static way and just free sparring. There's like a, there's a something that exists in that space in varying degrees in between. And this is what I'm arguing for with the constraints that approach and the ecological approach to training. Um, uh, because I think at a base level, that relationship between task, individual and environment is always going on. And so we, we get cognition into that space in different ways to help us focus on developing different aspects of our game. Sometimes it happens implicitly, like we have no idea and some behavior comes out and we keep repeating it. Or like you said, maybe we focus on something somebody told us one time about a Kimura grip or something, and we start to focus, focus on that. But there's a, a known way to actually take what you're saying and manipulate it with some consistency and with some level of certainty. And I say that very loosely when I use the word certainty, but yeah. um, and we can approach it in a much more intelligent way than either ignoring it or just do it and just doing, or ignoring it and doing, um, or doing it in the traditional way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, here's one thing that, that, that I think helps with that. And I was teaching a class recently and I said the same thing. I, I like to create a supply and demand, sorry, a, a supply and demand chain 
uh, of techniques. Now, I don't like to teach teaching techniques, but what I do like is I like to get the student to a certain level through their own experience so that when I do show a technique, they don't need to drill it. And that's when I tell people, like, they always say, well, when should, because uh, I, I talk about doing, you know, doing some games, learning through experience, trial and error. And they say, well, when should we introduce game, uh, sorry, techniques? And I tell them, when they don't need to drill it to absorb it, that's when you, that's when you teach it. And to do that, you have to be at a certain experience level. You have to have a certain amount of experience in that area and understanding. I remember I was training with Galvao and Leandro Lowe uh, in Abu Dhabi one time, and we were just exchanging different techniques. And I showed them uh, some some fucking weird uh, rolling back take when someone tries to apply to you that I, that I came up with. And then he showed me one of his techniques and I was like, awesome. And he's like, okay, now drill it, drill it. And I'm like, no, it's, it's all good. I got it. He goes, no, I practice it. And I said, bro, I, I can literally see it right now and I can do it. Like it just, it makes complete sense to me. I would do it while I would go in a competition and try and do it because my ex- everything I developed was through my own trial and error, my own experience that when I see a technique, I'm like, ah, I see what he's doing there. Yeah, I can do that. But most people don't develop through trial and error, don't develop their own game. So they end up becoming like this accumulation of techniques that they cannot, uh, you know, they, they to learn anything, they have to drill it because they just don't have a good enough understanding of it. So I feel like people made the biggest mistake in jiu-jitsu thinking that fast tracking your learning of jiu-jitsu is about drilling these techniques because otherwise you wouldn't remember it instead of doing the other way. Whereas like, hey, let's develop my own style, my own understanding through trial and error, get some experience. And then when those te- techniques come, then I don't need to drill the damn things. And that's kind of where I've been. But well, I think the issues. Well, I, it's interesting you say that because I don't think you and I came at it from that drastic of a difference. I really don't. So, I, I mean, I mean, where I came from, th- there is a the big difference. You started without an influence. You kind of had, you could take control of your own training. You could kind of show up to classes you wanted to. Where I came from, a gym, Lloyd Irvin's gym, where we were told that this is the way it works. That high repetition drilling is the way we develop skill. And, you know, as a young athlete, I didn't know any better. So I just did what I was told, you know, this is what the coach says. So this is what we do. And after, you know, 10 years of doing it like that, I was like, and something is wrong. Like this is not working. I was more beat up than I ever had been like my shoulders, my fingers, my knees. And I was, there was, I always had so many overuse injuries. I didn't know where they were coming from because everyone else on the team seemed pretty healthy, you know, and I'm like, why, why the hell is it happening to me? And I'm saying this because I was obsessed with drilling. I was. I like Lloyd said it was the right way. So I would go out of my way to do an extra four hours of drilling a day. And this is not an exaggeration. Everyone says this, but it isn't. You could ask anyone on that team that knows me, anyone, JT to anybody, Keenan, ask many, any of them how much Greg drilled. I was the drilling guy. And so I have deep experience with the effects of this, both positive and negative. Um, and so that's what led me to search for something better because I knew that there was something wrong with it. I just couldn't put my finger on it. Anyway, and that's what led me to the ecological approach, which is a very specific way to look at how athletes use information to self-organize. Um, and then, of course, through my own experience with my previous training and then now looking at this new science, I had to do the same thing that you did with yourself. I had to start applying something from a field that I didn't fully understand, but I used trial and error as a coach and as a practitioner using it to develop my own method for how to use the constraints led approach in an ecologically sound way. So I feel like, you know, we both were students in a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. There's two, two things that they brought up. One, you're not alone. Uh, I remember when I was training with Lachlan Giles, uh, he would be doing so much extra drilling and I, I just didn't do any of that kind of drilling. He was always trying to like, you know, you should do this and doing it. And I was just going, Whoo, well, he was so much slower. For sure. And there was a few guys I used to train with that were, and that was the, that was the one thing, like when I first started training like this, 
I, I, and I was getting really good really quick. And that was the only thing that kind of stimulated an idea. And I'm like, okay. And there was a few of us. And we're like, how come Kit's getting fucking better than all of us, about four times better? And he doesn't do half the training we're doing. He's not doing any of the technique training. He's not coming to any of the drilling classes, but he's getting better. And that was the only thing that first started, like, I started thinking, huh, there's something to this. And it was more through friends that kind of were doing their own case study on me that were starting to send me, like, information, like, scientific literature saying, okay, Maybe he's onto something here. Because at first, everyone was just like, oh, no, it's this kit. It's this kit. And, like, the amount of times Lachlan would teach a class and someone would ask a question about, you know, me or Craig, and he would always be like, that's just them. But <laughs> I, did, I didn't like that because it kind of devalues the uh, the processes in which we're using. So once we started looking at that, then we started finding a lot of this information. Like, oh, okay, there's a reason why I was getting, you know, I, I just stumbled upon it, but there's a reason where I felt like you were a lot more scientifically inclined where you would look at the information, then use you, yourself as uh, students as test studies, which that's sure. what I mean is I feel like I stumbled across it and it was more like I figured it out through doing it where you were actually looking at the information. So, you know, when people ask me, you know, if someone ever asks me about the, you know, the heavy science, I send them straight to you. I say, you know, that's, that's Greg's stuff. I, I don't have the, I, I barely read any, I'm a writer and I barely read anything. You know, it takes me like 10 hours to get through a script. So yeah. I'm not going to read any uh, books on learning anymore. But I, uh, you know, for me, it's like, I'll, I'll just go in there and I'll try and do it. And I know personally, because it fucking worked unbelievably well on me and not just in jujitsu and every single thing I've worked, there's only one thing that I've done and I did it the wrong way. And I, and I did it the way I tell people not to train jujitsu. And that was playing guitar. And I can, I learned how to read music and I just started copying songs. And yeah, I can play, a, I can grab my guitar right now and play a couple of different songs and you go, fuck man, he's good. But if you try to jam with me or try to give me a new song or try to get me to deviate from that, I am fucking, I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, like, I can't sure. do anything, which I, I wish I learned guitar the same way I learned jujitsu and writing and, and, and everything, everything else I do. I'd be fucking really good at guitar a lot quicker, but that's a, you know, it was a mistake I made when I was younger. Well, it's funny, I, got, actually, I, got, I got a question for both of you. Yeah, here. Yeah. Um, and I can relate to the struggling musician story kit. I'm the same. I, I got a few riffs and things I can fucking nail, but ask me to play along with someone else, I'm fucked. Um, I think we've all done, you two especially, done a good job in nudging the conversation into a different space. And so the question for you both is, and it, it seems super fucking reasonable, right? Okay, we admit there's this situational stuff, there's games based, there's ex ex exploration, there's trial and error and all this stuff, but we want to keep a little bit of this drilling too. I think it's it it sounds like a super reasonable um, question. Of course, I have my own answer, but I'd like to hear you both talk about that because the conversation has definitely moved. Even when you open your Instagram now, you're seeing less of this fucking shrimping up and down the lines and stuff. There is... There is change. There is getting some traction into this more live space. But a lot of our uh, people who even want to come halfway with us are saying, well, hey, this is all very good, but we need to keep some of this uh, kind of isolated drill stuff too. Well, I guess I'll take that one. I mean, they want to keep it because it's all they've ever known. So they can't really imagine what would learning look like without it. How would you guide somebody to a specific technical outcome without explicit instruction or process-oriented explanations. And so they just don't know another method. They don't, they don't know how to use it. And this is actually a problem that I'm, I'm facing now when I'm talking to people. They say, oh, Greg, how do I do it? This sounds very great, but how do I do it? It sounds real good, but how do I do it? 
And so again, I think the link to the static drilling is just that. I, they need a how-to. They need a book of prescription to make them feel like they're doing their job because they, again, they don't know how to do it without it. Um, so I don't think there's a space for static drilling as it relates to skill. And to, to really talk about that more deeply, we have to define what we mean by skill. And I, 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 when I say skill, I don't mean like the technique that you're able to do. I mean, it's more of a process of intentionality. Can I enter a live space with an intention and reach the outcome that this intention is uh, driving me towards? And if I can do that in a, a low energy cost consistently in a timely manner against variation, we can, can call that skill. So I think, again, if we see it that way, uh, we can clearly see that having someone repeat a movement in a, in a static way and using some type of rote processes or memorization to transfer what we think skill is, I think we can see that's not a good explanation for how to go about doing it. Uh, now, the process of static drilling, I think, can be used for other things that have nothing to do with skill development, for example. So maybe we want to use it as a way to condition like to get our heart rate up real high without touching weights or something, and we want to use a jujitsu type movement, or maybe we like to, to, to do the agreed upon dance. Maybe we like the kata. Maybe maybe we like the aesthetic of how that idealized representative jujitsu looks, and we want to practice getting good at that. So there are reasons to do it, but none of them have to do with the development of skill. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with everything you said there. I think like you know I do choreography for for film you know, martial arts and stuff. It's perfect for that. And I think it's, I, I think it's like a, a very simple answer for someone that has no martial arts background. And we're like, we have two weeks with this guy and we need to make him look like he can fight. Then that's what we're going to do. But I, I think that it's a, a shortcut that people take thinking it's actually going to be a shortcut, which turns out to be a much longer journey and a journey down the wrong path. Um, I I would tell everyone they don't need to do it. And and I think one of the problems is, and you touched on it, is people think that the progression in jiu-jitsu is based on the accumulation of techniques instead of the acquisition of skill and knowledge. So they think of learning jiu-jitsu as acquiring techniques. So they get confused when we say that you don't need to learn techniques. And they're like, hell, how the fuck am I supposed to get better? That's what getting better at jiu-jitsu is. And I was like, no, that's, that's not what getting better at jiu-jitsu is. It's acquiring skill and knowledge. And there's a much better way of doing that. The problem is it's, you're going to have to figure a lot of this out on yourself and you're going to have to start thinking for yourself and start problem solving for yourself. The good thing about that is the more you do that, the fucking quicker you get at doing it and the easier it becomes. For for me personally, I've been doing it for what, I don't know, 15 years now, I think, training, something like that. Uh, it's so easy for me. Like I, You can give me any problem and go, okay, we're in this position here. What could you do? It's like the solutions come really easy to me. I just find it easy because I've done it for so long, but at the start, it was definitely not easy. So I feel like people sort of, they take this shortcut that is the drilling techniques thing and then re realize really quickly it's not. So you kind of get this little hump of, oh, I got a technique. And then suddenly you just plateau and plateau and plateau. I feel the way we do it, it's like we throw them in there. Here's a game. Here's some task. Go do it. And it's like, okay, well, I got to think for myself. And they struggle a little bit. And then suddenly they start getting it and getting it. And then they just fucking go up exponentially. I did a test the other day, which I haven't, uh, I'm editing it right now. And I got two twins that were both boxers, but both have never done jujitsu, and uh, they're identical twins. And uh, I run both of them. Well, sorry, I hit this thing. Both of them through a test, and I get one of them to learn through drilling a technique, and the other one just through some task-based game, and just a very broad one. wasn't super specific or anything. Uh, for example, one of them was learning how to pass a guard with a knee cut, 
Okay. The other one was not told anything except for you're going to start in guard. You don't want to be in guard. You want to be in side control on mount. So your goal is just to get that very broad. Okay. It looks very much like positional sparring, but I wanted to test these two out to see what was more effective. And after about 10 to 15 minutes of them practicing, the dude that was uh, drilling the thing came in, tried to get his like technique like once or twice, and then struggled and had no idea how to deviate from that. The other guy absolutely obliterated him, just destroyed. It wasn't even close. It was passing the guard like it was going through a, like a hot knife through butter. And two two reasons. One is that we don't take this into account a lot of time. When you're when you're drilling a technique, you know, you're just doing your own thing. Okay. When you're doing uh, a game and you're sparring against somebody, you're not only working on your own shit, you're also absorbing what they're doing. So the whole time the guy was doing the uh, the task-based game to try and pass the guard, he was also absorbing a lot of information of the kid that was underneath playing guard against him. He was learning from the guy underneath. So when it came to the other guy trying to pass him, the one that did the technical drilling, the, the guy that did the, the task-based games, his guard was exponentially better, even though he didn't practice it because he was practicing against a guard that he knew like what to do. So it made it twice as hard as the guy that was doing the technique. But I, I asked them both. I, t- I did. I tested both on both sides. And I asked them at the end. I was like, you know, what was more effective? Like the game by a mile, by not not even fucking close. And that's two brand new people that have never done jujitsu before. And I've done the same thing with uh, many students uh, recently. Like especially, I love brand new ones or ones that have done about four or five classes are the best. And I had two girls recently that did my uh, my task based games class, and both of them at the end. I wish I was recording because it would have been the best testimonials. They're both like. I have not learned so much in one lesson in my life. Like, you know, I, I couldn't remember any of the stuff we did in the other class. Like everything here was fun, engaging, and I remember. And it was nothing that I taught them. It was literally just giving them tasks in, in a problem they were able to solve with someone that was working with them. And then just they have so much more fun. They get a good workout and they they feel empowered afterwards because they realize, hey, you know, I can solve these problems. It means I can eventually solve all the problems in jiu-jitsu rather than having to rely on a coach. Like, hey, coach, I'm in this position. What do I do? Here's a technique. Okay, I drill it over and over again. I get counted straight away. Okay, what do I do now? Oh, well, here's the counter to that counter. Okay, I drill it all over again. Okay, what? And it just fucking keeps going and going and going. I think like I calculated years ago, if someone was to ever master jiu-jitsu through drilling techniques, it would be training like three hours a day for like 550 years yeah might be able to do it <laughs> well that's that's a that's a soft estimate too because if you think about the infinite amount of ways a foot can be in front of you or the angle your hips could be or a knee or the length of leg or the different weight or the sweat or the environment or the fatigue or the lack of motivation add in the things that we can't really you know quantify and it makes the problem so vast that doing a prescribed static rote repetition of a thing doesn't even come anywhere near touching the problem that we're trying to use it to face. So it's, it's, it's a massive problem. That's really exciting. You did that video, man, uh, because it's interesting. I think you have a, a, a unique way to touch your crowd because you're dealing with a limited source. You're doing it only online and you're showing exactly what you want to show. Whereas I've been having students do this for eight years, eight years. And everything that you're saying is what I get on a daily and weekly basis. So people will visit our gym all the time. And say, I've one week here is like three months anywhere else. You know what I mean? Or they'll be like, yeah, there was not, a, there's no fat on your class. It's all training from start to finish. Well, yeah, that's what training is supposed to be. Like, what is the other shit, you know? Um, yeah. And then the same thing, like, you know, I, my, I, right now I'm trying to show to the world my blue belt Noah, who has been training under three years, and the how variable his skill his skills are is, is incredible. He can he can pass, he can sweep, he can back take, he can submit, he can wrestle, all this stuff. With, with, he's never been 
nothing's been ever explained to him. He's never taken explicit instruction. He's never drilled a single move. Um, and so even though I'm getting those same results and I have them, I have them, uh, school-wide school-wide. So if, if a visitor were to come in here and train with, with one of my white belts that no one knows about or blue belts that no one knows about, who's never competing, they'd be like, holy fuck, what the hell? How, how are they getting so good at this many things so quickly? And I I'm getting the exact same results. And I have been, it's just trying to get people to come over here to look at it. So yeah, you just more get challenging. People the other, get the people to jump that fence, and uh, <laughs> yeah, for I, sure, I agree. As soon as they do it, it's always the same thing. You know, every single person I've ever had a debate with, the argument with, as soon as they try it, they're like, "Okay, fuck, all right, I see what you're doing." And then next minute is like, "How can I keep doing this? How can I keep doing this?" And and that was that was the reason why I brought out the task-based games because I've been teaching online for since 2013 or 12, I think, and um, I did a couple of programs, and and my 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 what my bestseller was the art of mastering jiu-jitsu which was all about my ideas and concepts and philosophies on learning and training and jiu-jitsu which was great it just didn't come with a real practical uh with practical environments for people to train i kind of just tell them all this like this is everything that's going on in my head here take it which is great and i really like it and i got a lot of good feedback but the one thing it was missing was ways for people to practice it in a way that they could really um absorb it really well so that was why i, I brought out the the task-based games because it was like a connection to that that's like if you want to practice it this is the perfect time to to use this and utilize it and then it worked really well and this one i i don't i haven't had as good feedback on any product as what i have on this which was which was great and like i said a lot of it is because uh, of what you've done greg and this is why i want to get a chance to to talk to you and everyone i talk to knows both of us like i want to see you guys talk together because there's a lot of stuff i want to learn from you and ask you as well um but a, a lot of that is because of the movement that you've done because there's no way i would have been able to do this 10 years ago because uh n no one was ready to hear that then you know and sure everyone was ready to write off like anything except for a couple smart people that were like paying attention going, okay there must be a reason why certain people are getting really good and, and like hodger said the same thing hodger grace is like you know i never drill anything i just do positional sparring there was a bunch there's, this is the thing that really frustrated me there was a bunch of really high guys not high as in, uh, but high as in really <laughs> high level guys that uh, I spoke to, and and they said the exact same thing. Like, yeah, no, nah, I don't practice stuff. I just, I just, and it was all at the time. It was like I just do positional sparring and sparring, and uh, but as soon as they would come to teach, they would go and teach techniques again. Well, and for sure, because they they didn't they don't know how they got to where they got to. They don't know why it's working, and that's really what I was how I was trying to set the stage. Part of the reason why. I did sort of what you did where I emptied my mind out free to the public and I tried to tell them all, all my, my ideas, my concepts. I tried to share the science to the best I understood it because I, I feel like I needed to set the stage for what was coming next. So my goal is to help people learn how to use the constraints of that approach or use an ecological approach to designing practice. That's, that's the space I want to fill. And I specifically want to use that science because that's what I've been developing. So I, I, you know, I had a lot of things like you did where you were just using your own experiential knowledge to design games or your own instincts or your own ideas. Uh, but my goal is to sort of jump beyond that and to grasp a hold of a little more certainty, something a little more uh, linked to um, what's actually happening. Because we all have our own anecdotes about what works and what doesn't work. Uh, but again, my goal was to try to move past that. And so I really had to make sure that before I gave anyone anything to consume, anything pragmatic or anything that they could use on their own, I wanted to be connected to something that they could they could also look for on their own because I didn't want to be a, a single source of information. You know, like I figured if I said, hey, here's the science, guys, here's how I understand it, here's how I'm using it. And then I create a product by which I can show how I took the science and and created this product 
They could see the link and then they could run with it themselves. They could go back into the science on their own and they could start doing things on their own. Yeah. Um, so that was that was my goal. And so, but again, I, people come to me and ask me all the time about about what you and I are doing. And I always say the same thing. I was like, the great thing about what Kit's doing is he's using his own personal experience, which has a lot of strength. If he's able to take just his own experience and create live resistance games to get you to get to become better, even when it's not backed on anything but his own experience. Look how strong it is. Like he's able to help you with just live resistance based on his experience. And so it shows at a base level, even if there's nothing connected to it, that it works. It works. It works even if it might not be perfectly sound or this, that, and the other thing. It's the live resistance. It's that true training has that at its base level, no matter how we approach it. Um, and so I think that's that's really the strength of it. You know, you're, you're just showing people, hey, this is what I do. And they're getting results from it. Yeah. Th yeah, I think the fact too, uh, Kit, that you're you're kind of like first to market here. And uh, when I got introduced to Greg and I came across each other a year or so ago, I, I said to Greg, "You got to get in this space quick because some fucking Johnny come lately is going to come and take the ball and and run and make a lot of money with it." But I I, I don't want to speak for you, Greg. But I think the fact that it, it's you, Kit. I think you know you've been talking about this. You've been talking about it for years. It's certainly um, the the fact that you were the one to come and you were the one to take it and first to market. You know, I think I have, I have no qualms with that at all because um, I, I expected it to be someone different, to be, to, to be quite honest. You got any thoughts on that, Greg? Well, yeah. So Kit actually changed my mind. So like when I, when I, people started linking to me at task-based games, right? And he started showing, you know, are you, are, you, are you associated with this? Are you associated with this? And I was like, no. And so I, I first, I, I listened to his promo. I watched some of the free videos he had. And my initial instinct was, this is not ecologically sound. This is not based on any real framework. And at first I felt like defensive against it because I was like, oh, it has to be done this way. There, there's this, this way that, because in my mind, I, I'm so deep in that ecological space that I want that language to be represented by that space. So then I, I, I said something inflammatory on Kit's page and then he just reached out and he was like, dude, we shouldn't be enemies. We should be friends. You know, th this is ridiculous. And so I was like, ah, fuck it. So I deleted my comment. We got on the phone and we started chatting and he convinced me very quickly on why he and I need to be in this space doing this thing. So let's say he and I are two different people. Let's say we are. So I'm looking at task-based games from an ecological framework. And I want the, the way that I set this out to be associated with the science that, that shares, uh, that uh, tells us why it works and how it works. And, uh, uh, but Kid is doing it in such a way where he thinks he wants to use his own experience. And I think both have tremendous value because not everybody's going to read the science. Not everybody is going to, you know, go deep into it and try to define exactly what's happening. But they need some some place to stand on and actually get effective training in. I think that's where Kit comes in. So he convinced me of that. So when he and I were talking on the phone, I realized very quickly that I was just being a fucking grumpy asshole over nothing. And he was like, dude, you know, so yeah, no, I, I think it's great. And I think that he kind of, he sparked me too to want to jump out there a little sooner because like I said, I wasn't ready yet. I didn't want to, because I wanted to go beyond the sales and marketing. I wanted to go beyond making a dollar. And I'm not, I'm not accusing Kit of that at all. I think Kit is trying to help the people that buy his product. And that's why he, he he's so passionate at getting it out there. So, no, I think I, mean. I I really like that. You know, it takes, you know, a lot of, I don't know the word. It takes a real man to be able to like say something online, and then and you called me, and then we spoke, which I really appreciate that. Uh, and it was great because you know a lot of people will just leave their differences there and won't realize that hey, you know, you guys are on the same page. And and the, the way I was looking at it is like we are on the same page. We're on the same like we're on the same team here. We can't be fighting each other because we've got everyone trying to fight us already. It's like we need we need help, and it, we we do help each other because. And I think that what what I really do 
is for you know as a really good step in to what greg does with the ecological training i i feel like i resent resent uh, represent fucking represent almost like a stepping stone to what greg is because when i listen to greg greg talks very technical and even for me it's hard to keep up with uh with some of these because he uses a lot of scientific literature which is hard I and mean, most people I'm going to guess most people are going to get lost when you talk and going to listen to you probably five times before they get to un- understand what you're actually saying without having that understanding. Uh, I feel like mine is like a good stepping stone to what his is. And uh, and I think I'm not going to be in this space for for a lot longer. I'm For anyone that doesn't know, I'm in the movie-making business. And in probably two or three years, I'm probably going to have so much fucking work with that that I will never even get to teach another thing again in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and that's what my my goal is. So I think, you know, I'm only going to be in for a little bit. So for me, it's like I'm not competing. I'm actually going to help him because I'm going to get a lot of people over the line that maybe don't know who Greg is. And once they get into my stuff, they're going to be like, oh, I fucking love this shit. Okay. I want more of it. Who else does this? Oh, Greg does this. Okay. And then it helps everyone, you know, and, and anyone else that's on the same level as us is going to is going to be able to benefit from that. Because there's no doubt in in three or four years, as long as we as long as we keep pushing it in three or four years, I feel like ninety percent of people are going to move into this type of training. Anyone that tries this training is going to realize how much better it is, how much more effective it is, how much more fun it is, how much more uh, economic it is on time and effort, and they're just going to love it. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to shift there. It's just taking taking a fair few years because I feel like ten years ago I did a good job of like opening up and then i just like fuck it i'm I'm not bothering anymore i went out and did a few different things and then i come back into jiu-jitsu and then i'll be doing the same thing but i I think uh, right now it's where people are shifting and i think with what greg's doing is going to push that for a lot longer than i ever will um and and that was why i was glad to be able to explain that to you and that we are pretty much doing the same thing it's just you know different perspectives but meeting at the exact same conclusion really you mentioned yeah. a few years from now. What, what do you, both of you? What do you think? Uh, what do you think the implications are for the very lucrative instructional industry? If you go to BJJ Fanatics, and I've said this before, you, you have a look at the coaches. I don't know what the requirement is now to have a BJJ Fanatics video. You have a black belt, and you can right. fucking you walk up right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I think that the the whole the way we sell DVDs and instructionals has to change. It can't be just us showing our secret scrolls of techniques because it's it's bloated. There's 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 too much nothing there. So we need to find a way to get students engaged with the information so they can use it. And it it's got it has to be beyond. Oh, I do the Gordon Ryan body lock pass, or I do the you know you know Lachlan Giles inside heel hook. It's got to be more than that because then you're just you're just going to buy the new two to four hundred dollar DVD every time someone shows their new you know fancy technique. So we we really you know the people in this space definitely need a place to make money because we don't make much. But we also need to be doing our students a real service, something beyond just having them clap for us because they're a fan of the way we speak or our personality or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I just the, the space needs to change. It needs to benefit a larger audience in a real way. I, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if Kit and I are going to be able to affect it in the way we'd like to, but there definitely needs to be a change. Well, I think if you keep doing what you're going to do, your students are going to speak for you know speak that message for themselves, uh, and people are going to do it. You know, I, I always knew that if I had a class, I would prove to the world, other than outside of myself. But it's it's really difficult, you know, to try and do that without. It. I've got you know a lot of consistent online uh, people have been online with me for for many years, 
that you know preach really good results and stuff like that but i mean until you have your own class that like what you're doing there and then everyone just keeps getting better and better and we skip three or four years time even the brand new people that you've got are going to be like high level high level competitors then people are going to you know people you can only you know you can only turn a blind eye to something so long and then then you're going to have to listen and i have the same you know same methodology when it comes to writing like scripts you know going into the film making world no one wants to give you any respect who the fuck are you i don't give a shit what you are in jiu-jitsu or whatever you did like i don't care they don't even read your shit but like if you just get good enough you just get that fucking good eventually they can't ignore you and i think that's what's going to happen with your with your students they're going to get that good that people just can't ignore you and i and there's a lot of people that have turned you like i, I was in sweden this year i never heard about what you were doing until i was in sweden and then uh one of the students that i go to michael and his son liam is really good and he was asking about the ecological approach and i had no idea what he was talking about and then he, he explained what he was doing i said that's fucking great yeah i think it's really good you should go spend some time with it. i don't know if he has come to train with you or not yet but no he, he messaged me actually so when you and i had the conversation on the phone and so i looked him up and he and i had a, a lengthy conversation he sent me a whole list of things he wanted to do with his son he was talking about his son and i gave him some advice and then uh yeah so i don't know if he'll ever listen to this but i'll probably reach back out and say hey come through because i invite all people to come here so you know on top of me trying to share the science of the ecological approach with the jitsu community so we can update our training methods i'm also trying to personally build a team too because my my deepest desire is to have a jitsu team of my own that's what i want to do i want to have a group of guys that compete at the highest level that's my personal goal that's what i'm using my school for uh and the ecological approach is how i'm going to try to make the best athletes that i can so you know so this sharing information kind of like you is sort of like a side gig uh making videos eventually and doing my you know the, the content we're going to be putting out as a side gig it's really about something else so yeah i i it was great that, that my message is getting out i actually had uh, a guy, my, my old training partner, Frank Camacho, uh, who was in, fought in the UFC and whatnot, he messaged me the other day. He said, Greg, oh my God, someone brought your name up on Guam, dude. And I went down this rabbit hole and looked at your shit. And so we, he, me and I, he and I have been going back and forth. So anyway, it's really good, man. It's spreading. And I'm hoping that more people jump on board. And I'm really hoping people move here to this shitty ass town of Rockville and come train with me. But, uh, you know, who knows? Where Where is Rockville? I have no idea. So it's in Maryland. It's on the East Coast. Like uh, We're 20 minutes outside of D.C. So we're connected to the D.C. metro. So to travel around the D.C., we have a metro station. And we're on what's called the Red Line. And we're a, about a 30-minute train ride from D.C., 35-minute train ride from D.C. How, how far is that from Lloyd Irvin? Uh, 60 miles. So he's on the other side of Maryland. We're literally an hour and a half away from each other. Uh, when I first started training with Lloyd, I used to drive an hour and a half two times a day in both directions. So I was spending like fucking four to six hours in the car every day to get there before I started living there. But uh, yeah. Does, uh, does he still speak to him? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we bump into each other. Uh, he doesn't like me very much. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I really respect what he did for me when I was there and, and how he kind of sprung board, you know, my my lifestyle here. He really gave me a lot when I was there with him. Uh, but no, yeah, he, I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't agree with my method. He thinks I'm just blowing hot air. He thinks I'm just talking shit. Uh, but you know, it's either way, man. I, I appreciate what he did for me. So that's so funny. I, I did see his post the other day. I, I think I sent it to you, and I was like, <laughs> "Is this about you?" He wrote a post about what? Basically, what was he saying? I remember. I'll tell you. Drillers make killers. We've been doing this forever. This is all I do. Lots of static drilling. Lots of situational sparring. Everyone else in the world does this. Nobody other than me has, or excuse me, nobody has made a homegrown world champion using anything other than static drilling. If you can give me a coach and student who have done it, I'll give you a thousand dollars. 
Uh, you know, it's never been done. Don't listen to anyone that says drilling is bad. They've never done anything, blah, 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 which is fine. I mean, Lloyd is a results-based guy. He's like, you know, the results speak for themselves. That, that's his thing. That's his big shtick. Black or white, yes or no, results are the only thing that matter. But I think the issue with Lloyd in that in this sense is that he's he's he can't see the big picture. He can't see what's actually being said. His athletes are very successful in spite of their massive amounts of static drilling because they also do massive amounts of live work and at a high, all motivated guys in a room that really care about each other. They really have a good culture of, you know, accountability, help each other, get to where you're going, give it everything you've got, uh, which has been, that's one thing that's fantastic about Lloyd's room is he has that in, in buckets, you know, um, the static drilling is just random. So what's interesting is everyone talks all this shit about static drilling. And they're all confident about it. And I have a challenge to all of you stop live sparring, do static drilling, nothing but static drilling. And situational sparring, just a little bit of situational sparring for six months and go out to a competition. Let me t- tell me how you do. It'll be a crowd. Let's check this out. Here's what's interesting. I am courageous enough to nothing but 100% live resistance training from the foundation level all the way to the advanced level. No explicit instruction, no process-oriented information, no drilling of any kind. And I put my students out on, on YouTube, on Instagram, out in the competitive sphere. And I tell everyone exactly how I do it and why I'm doing it. And I'm open and transparent. And I accept all the hate. You guys do it. Take your little group. Do nothing but static drilling. Nothing but static drilling. And see how it compares. If you're that, if you think it's that effective in getting to where you're going. I don't, you know what? There's two reasons why they're not going to do it. One is because people don't like being wrong. There was, a, I, I forget the philosopher that I think he thought that the, the, uh, I could be completely wrong, that the earth was the center of the universe and he was always pushing it. Let's say, let's say it was that he was pushing it for so long that he ended up discovering that he was wrong, but he held that information from everyone until he died because he didn't want to. It was like worse being proven right. I think a lot of people get in this mindset of like, you know, trust is everything. And this is a tribal thing, you know, because if you didn't have trust or that people didn't appreciate your value, that they would kick you out of the tribe or something like that. So they, they think that. So they, they're very quick to like avoid anything that may give the impression that they don't know what they're talking about or they're wrong. So even people that are doing this drilling, some people are going to probably start realizing, fuck, I'm probably wrong on this, but I'm going to fucking hold, you know, I'm going <laughs> to hold this until I die because I don't want people to not For trust sure. Or they're just really unaware. And I think most people are really unaware. And, and as you said, there's a lot of coaches out there that get respect and they get admiration for things that they do not deserve. You know, they have they have a hub for a lot of really good, you know, training partners with like-minded uh, you know, mindsets wanting to compete and they get together and that's where they're getting better, you know, iron sharp sharpening iron and they're sparring and stuff like that. And they're also trying to figure things out a lot. But then they'll do this, you know, the coach will say, you know, this is it's the, the drilling that we're doing. You know, there's one thing that I stole from from Lloyd Irvin that I think is good, but I took the idea of it and used it in a way that I think is far more uh applicable. And it was the the his micro drilling, where he was doing a lot of micro drilling. Okay. And I thought, well, you know, actually I think I think he's right, but I think he's wrong. I think he's got the right idea, but he's in the wrong area. I think the micro drilling is is a, a really good idea because not the drilling part, but the micro part, because there's a lot of little you know, micro games that are really important for you to develop that you don't spend a lot of time in. And, uh, you know, in jiu-jitsu, you, you, know, you, can, you can go through different areas and stuff like that. But for example, let's say you're uh, someone's turtling and you're 
got a body lock and they put you in a Kimura, how often do you spend trying to do, you know, defend that little area, that little sure. part? So like, I, I think that's good for, it inspired a lot of um, task-based games for me in areas like that, where you wouldn't spend enough time to really get experience and you can lose a, a match in jiu-jitsu because of that. You might be winning the whole match and you go body lock and this guy loves a fucking Kimura from body lock and he Kimuras you and you're like, I, I, you know, I just, you know, I've spent probably fucking two minutes of my whole career defending that, you know, so you may, you know, making little games. So I stole what he was doing not not what he was doing you know what he <laughs> what the word that he said in micro and that idea of like and i thought okay how can i use this in a way that's much more applicable and intelligent and i thought this is the way and i i you know he's he's been nice to me anytime any exchange we've had and stuff like that and i think that you know i think he's probably the best salesman in all of jiu-jitsu by a mile um and uh you know i was listening to keenan talk talk about him and, and I, you and a few other people i knew that were training with him they said the same thing but I think he uses a lot of that in his approach to jujitsu, and he's not as aware as what he uh, he could be when it comes to learning. And then this is not just him. It's not attack on him. It's just everybody. There's one thing that I've always been really good at. It's being aware of why I do things that I do and why, you know, the why in everything. And Simon Predick, I think his name is, wrote a book about that called The Why. And, you know, no matter what it is I'm doing, like I drink, you know, kombucha a lot of the time. Why am I, why do I drink kombucha? You know, why do I eat junk food? Why do I train? Why do I do this? Why do I like certain, you know, modalities of training? And, and I'm always trying to figure that out. And that was why, what led me a, a lot of to, to figure out, you know, why am I really good at jujitsu? And how did I get so good at jujitsu really quickly compared to people that didn't do that? And it was always why and why. So I'm very self-aware of what I do what i you know the knowledge i have for example if people ask me about real intricate details for heel hook escapes and stuff like that i always point them somewhere else like i go see lachlan giles or something like that because i don't spend enough time in there to to trust the answer i'm going to give you i'll give you you know anything i know but that's not something i have a lot of experience in and it's not something i find a lot of interest in mainly well that's part of the thing i'm trying to fill too with the way i, I approach training and people ask me like how do you get details well, how how important are details how do you get people to know these finer things these micro processes or whatever and the way that we approach it is through what we call invariance so there are things about heel hooking that never change there are things about every heel hook that's ever done by every human that's ever done it no matter their body type they have to do and so we start there so if you start with the invariant features of any given exchange any given connection position however you define it and we put our students in live resistance against those invariants, learning happens at a far faster rate. And those details work themselves out because all details have a base of invariance. So for example, if we, uh, heel, we, we know what it is. So we, why do we heel hook? We heel hook because we twist the leg. The heel hook is a twisting grip that has a, a twisting break on the leg. So why do we capture the toes, for example? Well, this is the longest part of the lever. It allows the leg be to become more twistable. Well, why do we attach the hip and we keep their knee within the boundary of the knee line? Well, we do it for two reasons. Isolation, immobilization. Uh, that means stay attached to the hips and, and immobilize them by holding them on the floor. And we use the, the, the knee line to isolate that leg from everything else. And we point our hips laterally at it. So when we do twist an immobilized joint, it produces breaking forces. So all, all the whys are there when we talk about invariance. And so then what we do is we can easily design a practice around those invariants. We take a student who's never done anything. We put them in a heel hooking situation and we decide what we want them to do with that isolated position. And then we let the, the live resistance of the two players guide them into the details that will make it work. But again, it's based off invariance, the things that don't change for anybody, that they're the same for everyone. And this is how we get past that hurdle or get over that hurdle. 
Yeah, I think it's the answer to learning techniques and submissions because people say, okay, well, you that's fine. You don't drill stuff. So how do you learn a, a submission? I think it's the exact same thing. You go yeah, through you put them in it. everything and put them straight in there. Start from here. Go finish. Do this. And I, I think the thing is the, the issue that people have is they don't know what to do. Okay, okay, coach. Yes, yeah, so Coach Greg Sauter says you got to go get into the arm lock and you got to start. Okay, great. Well, where do we start? And that's why I think that the scientific approach that I'm taking helps us answer that question more easily. So because the, the scientific approach gives us a um, like a view of what's actually happened based on things that don't change or things that we can tease out or the phenomena that we can attach to that are always there. And then we start with that. You know, For example, we know how an arm lock looks, but why does it look that way? What is special about the way that looks? Is there a function there that we need to understand? And so once we understand that function based on the way it looks, we can start having our students go directly into that situation, trying to produce that function, which will be the foundation of them building that skill. And so again, if we know what's happening and we know why it's happening, we can guide our students to figuring that portion out for themselves. Yeah, hundred percent. It was, um, there was a really cool study done and it was, uh, and the reason I thought about that is I, I feel like most people are, are really uh, conditioned by the industrial age model of education. And, for sure. Uh, you know, we just get in, okay, to, told exactly what to do, but we never get a chance to try and figure it out. I struggled in school. Like I hated, I failed almost everything. And it wasn't big, you know, there was things I passed that I should never have passed. Like I passed the most difficult mathematics and, and physics and only because I was cheating half the time and I was like, just <laughs> enough work to pass, but I had no interest in doing it because I like to try and I like to create things. I like to build things and I like to be able to build my own thing and create my own thing and take my own process. And it was just, that was not what they were teaching in school. And there was a study done that was talked about. And they talked about um, genius. I think it was called geniuses. 1960s NASA students. They were trying to get more genius geniuses in NASA. Might have been. I can't remember the exact uh, the reason for it. I'll explain it. Maybe you can tell me if it is. But they were they were testing like kids, like five year old yep. kids of you know what percentage of them would be classified as genius. And the 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 main parameter of genius was their ability to to creatively problem solve. And it was like 97 percent of them were like geniuses at that age. And then at six, it was like 88. And then at seven, it was like, and it just kept dropping drastically as they got older. And uh, they attributed a lot of that to the industrial age model of learning where they stopped creating and they started just, you know, what you were doing jujitsu, they stopped problem solving and creating and innovating and they started drilling. And it's like, you just literally get worse. You know, you get better at that drilling those techniques you look better when you're you're doing it with a cooperating partner like if you told me to drill something i would look like the worst person <laughs> we talk about this all the time yeah i would look sure i haven't oh, drilled in over 10 years if longer than that yeah i hate it people always ask me like what's your favorite technique i'm like what like holding what you, you down and fucking you up yeah like that's me it's like it's, it's like me saying scott what's your favorite sentence like I don't fucking know. Well, you know, it's like it depends on what you're saying to me and what I'm doing. Like, there's so many things, as you were saying earlier, Greg. Like, you know, I'm looking at who are you, how tired are you, what do I know about you, what kind of environment are we in? Are you, are you wearing long sleeve? Is it like a is it a loose long sleeve? Have you got loose skin? Are you sweaty? Are you you know? There's so many things I'm taking into account when I'm doing that. It's the same thing when I'm talking to someone. I'm looking at your body language. I'm like, does this guy like me? Is he listening to me? Do I need to tap him to from to pay attention? You know, it all dictates on on what I'm going to say. That sentence I'm going to use is based on all that and it's the same thing with with jiu-jitsu but but back to what i was saying it's like the more that we just get into that that repetition style of learning the dumber we're getting and the less creative we're getting and it's just it's a really fucking really bad way to learn and i well, think i'm super excited to see how many people you know hopefully after you know even if there's one person that's watching this podcast now that gives it a chance and starts learning like this 
and uh, and seeing how much more powerful it is. But the the more you do it, it's like you know your brain's a muscle. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at doing it. And um, uh, you'd probably be able to explain this better than me, Greg. But remember that they, they were talking about science. Uh, the uh, it's the um, what is it called? Not muscle memory. Because you, you remember, well, you there is. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there's no such thing as muscle memory. What's the other one? What's it called again? Um, fucking hell, I've just gone blank. I'm half asleep still. Uh, the declarative memory and now oh, okay, okay. about the declarative memory so anything that you guys can declare and, and think about you know if i asked you what you ate for breakfast yesterday you can think about it and remember it yes that kind of memory and uh when we when you talk about something that you have no knowledge on it's really hard to grasp the information if i was talking about snowboarding and i'm talking about catching toe edge or something like that a lot of students that have never or people are watching that have never done snowboarding and just going to say i don't know what the fuck he's talking about just goes through one ear and out the other but the more infant, like the more experience we have on something, and let's say jujitsu, you start getting in there and you start playing and trying to pass the guard, and you know you get sweat or you get submitted, you remember that kind of shit, and you're excited, and suddenly like the small little things that you're learning start sticking, and it's like they talked about it like a scaffolding system, and you've got different bits of scaffolding everywhere. So at the at the beginning, information's going through and not connecting to anything. And then the more you build that scaffolding, okay, the easier it is to learn new information and to absorb new things. So the more you train like me and Greg are talking about, the easier it is to learn, the faster you learn. And it's, it's like your, your brain just develops to, to process information much quicker and to problem solve much better. And it just, everything gets fucking much easier. Can you still hear me guys? Sorry. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Oh yeah. No, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like I, I don't, I'm not, confident enough in the science to talk about memory because memory is something that is heavily disputed in embodied sciences from, you know, being active to inactive. Um, and there's different, you know, cognitive psychology has a whole explanation for what they think memory is. Uh, but either way, the way that we look at it is this, is the purpose of training in the live environment is so that the athlete or the actor can develop a relationship with that environment. Because our, the, the, the thing that we adhere to is that it, the information problem that we're all trying to solve uh, is best solved if we see it as being direct. So as an actor acts in the environment, it picks up the information it needs to act within that environment to produce the intended outcome or to, or to go in the direction they want to go in. So it's that relationship between actor and environment or actor and task that, that, that makes all those neural connections and all that, all the stuff inside that happens is only happens when we intend to do something and we search within the environment to get that thing done. And so we're just taking that seriously when we design a training program and in the, the memory that, that you're talking about, or the idea of the memory that you're talking about is that you have to store something in here first. And then before you act, you have to reach in there and grab that storage. But if you think about how slow that actually is and how inefficient that actually is, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a stressful situation in the middle of a competition and being confused as to where you are and not having an answer and being like, wait, what did my coach say three weeks ago about it if I get here? Or if you're listening to your coach, just scream, pass the guard, pass, pass. Like it's, it's so fucking crazy, man. It's forcing your, um, your mind or your perception into a zone where it's no longer linked to the environment in front of it. It's linked to something else, some memory or some internal source of information that you're searching to try to produce this outcome. So you can, when you talk about it out loud, you can hear how inefficient it sounds. It's very, yeah, I mean, I feel like you described most people in jiu-jitsu though. How many times have you seen people that are learning through techniques and get stuck in the position? They're like, they're looking for their coach and they're like, you know, just do the fucking thing. And they're just like sitting there like, fuck, I don't, I don't know. I don't I, anything from here. I, I use this example of this study that I read once about dogs and they were trying to 
discovered the big difference between domesticated dog and a wolf because they're essentially the same thing. Like their genes are almost identical. There's really not much difference from them because we really haven't bred the dog out of the dog. It's still the same animal. It just looks different. And so they wanted to know like what the biggest changes were. And so they, they, they put a domesticated dog and a wolf to, to a set of problems. And uh, one of them was to try to get a piece of meat out of a cage by pulling on this, this wire. And the domesticated dog, after a few attempts, it would stop, sit down and look at its owner where the wolf would never stop. It, it would, its mouth would be bloody. It would be digging at the ground. It would dig six feet under this cage to get that meat. And not once did it ever stop and look at anything around it. It just kept focusing on the task until it got the meat out of the cage. And so that's, I, I, I joke when we say most, mostly jitsu athletes are domesticated dogs. They're not wolves. You know, they just want it. They want to do it, but you know, daddy's telling them to do. Uh, and it's strange because a lot of the guys in jitsu seem to like that. It's like, they want to be under the the thumb or servitude of some daddy master that gives them all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you touched on one psychological thing. <laughs> and, uh, I think the other is once again, a, a product of the industrial age model of like, you know, what are you valued on? It's like your, your end result is what's valued. And I think people come in with this perfectionist mindset. of <clears throat> They don't want to one, they don't want to look bad. And two, they uh they want you know everything their result to be perfect so they're like okay tell me exactly how to do it i, I don't want to you know i don't want to be embarrassed by you know everyone else and, and look like i suck at something i want you to tell me exactly how to do it and and have the perfect thing and it's just it's a fucking worst mindset in, in the world I've, I've got one private student that i've been you know trying to get him to come to open mats and he's he's, he's uh one of the uh, best writers in the world like one of the best screenplay writers in the world. He wrote The Longest Yard, Up in the Air, X-Men First oh, sure. Class. He's Oscar-nominated, um, Golden Globe winner. But he – I always have this argument because he's he, like, wants to come to open mat when – when he feels like he's ready for open mat, you know? <laughs> okay. that's where you're going to get ready, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand it. You know, it's nerve wracking for him. Uh, um, and you know, he only trains with me and another guy, you know, high level guy. And I'm trying to explain to you, you're going to get so much confident through confidence through training with these new people and stuff like that, and start like working stuff and practicing stuff and problem solving, you know, on, on someone that you can actually actively do it on. It's hard for you to do it against me or you know another high level uh, guy that I bring in as well. But you know, he has that perfectionist mindset. He wrote eleven scripts before he even let anyone read one of theirs. You know, with me, I'll write fifteen words and I'll let anyone read it. I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. I, I'm, you know, I do care, but I don't care as much as what most people sure. do. I'm um, very open. Like this is what I do. This is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm doing things. And that was kind of like why where where I heard you say before, like you're a lot more like you want to make sure your everything is completely sound before you teach it. No, 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 no. Was not wasn't that? No, 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 no. Okay, I want to try to. So I'm sorry. I want to try to be as as scientifically sound as possible. But I, I just like everything else, the ideal is not really there. It's like I, the thing is, is uh, the ecological approach is a theory of information, and it has this whole framework about how we think that a, a, an individual interacts with an environment forming task, and, and there that relationship creates behaviors. And there are there's stuff the science has learned and uh, defined within that system that I'm trying to adhere to. Now, this doesn't mean that I do it perfectly well. Of course not. And this does not mean that I understand it perfectly well, but I'm attempting to. So I'm just like, like you want to be a good screenwriter, right? And so I, I'm sure you've um, read books about writing and you've talked to great writers to help inspire you to how to maybe do that better, right? Both maybe uh, you know creatively and, and mechanically, just how to become a better writer. 
but so but doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do that but you're going to try and you're going to use the this sort of loose ideal and you're going to compare where you are now and you're going to kind of keep bumping these two things into each other until you get the out, an outcome that you would consider good or or at least would get you to where you're going and that's what I'm doing too okay, so good, good. Yeah, yeah yeah no I understand that yeah I think like with, with me I I have a rule and it's uh, whenever I'm learning something it's like the only time I'm studying that thing is when I don't have something to participate in. Uh, and for example, if I'm going to jujitsu training, the only time I'm ever going to study anything and listen to anyone or watch anything is if I can't train myself, which most of the time I can't train myself. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't go. Um, but it, with with writing, for example, I've I've definitely listened to a, a lot of audio books, and it's only time I listen to it is because I'm like in Sweden and I'm walking around half the day, so I've got like I can't literally write. Otherwise, I would 100% write. So I'll listen to stuff like that. But but most of my learning, and this is, this goes very well with what we're talking about, is through doing. Like ninety percent of it through doing, and. Uh, a lot of people do the opposite. A lot of people are like, I want to become a writer. So what they do is they go to a writing class and they learn how to write. And uh, for me, I didn't do any of that. I, I don't even have the time to do that. I do have the time. I just wouldn't do it. I uh, What I started doing was I started writing. And I'm telling you, I had the fucking worst writing you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> I would put a, an exclamation mark for every single period. I didn't know where the fuck the commas were going to go. I, had, I, I was really bad at spelling and my grammar was even worse. So it was almost unreadable. But like I, I didn't care. I just I wanted it. I just did it. I would send it to people that would read it, and they would get back to me and go, "Okay, this is fucking terrible. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad." And I, and then I would just keep doing this. And I was really what I was doing is I was opening opening myself to criticism so that I could learn the mo- as much as I could. So yeah, I'm going to look bad to a lot of people. But now, if you compare my scripts now to what they were two years ago. It's literally, and it's going to sound really egotistical. It's literally what someone would take ten years to do, and I do it in two years, just because I just all I'm doing is writing. I write most of my day, but I'm allowing myself to be, uh, you know, to make mistakes and hit the ground running. So the same thing is what we're talking about in jujitsu. Like I'm putting myself in, you know, some kind of environment where I'm uh, have the ability to problem solve and get instant feedback on the things that are working and the things that are not working, and then trying to fix it right there. Which I, I think is a huge missing link in what most people do, especially when they hear what we do and they're like, "Oh yeah, but I, you know, I do positional sparring, I do rounds." I said it's just too vague, and you can make a mistake in any one of them, and never get a chance to really correct them. Where you become a lot more hyper specific, you get the opportunity to really fix that mistake that you're making, identify what it is, and come up with a solution, and, and continues to do that, gathering more and more information. But I do that same thing on on writing and it served me so fucking well but i literally started at the worst place like i wasn't you know when i started jiu-jitsu i could say that i was talented in a sense because i had an athletic background in australian rules football or something okay which well, let's talk i want to actually want to talk about that by the way i don't mean to interrupt you but when you keep talking about i want to talk about what you just said no good, good we can go to that i was uh, i was pretty much finished what i was talking about anyway Greg, yeah, before, sorry, but Greg, before you jump in, sorry, yeah, keep a keep a pin in that note. You you mentioned something there, and and it, it, the reason I wanted to bring it up because it, it's a really important word, and I, I think we really need to recognize this. You, you you mentioned the word relationship, and this is how I speak to my my, my students and team now, all about building relationships. And uh, I, I'm I'm going a little far fetched here. I was watching some video this week about AI in the future. Perhaps we're going to be able to upload uh, skills and stuff into the body, right? As as we progress. Um, how how would how would you do that? How would you upload? You know, I could get the. I, I know I'm going far fetched here. I could get the the. I could get behind that you're able to download or upload a motor pattern. But how would you upload a relationship? And when you start looking at the game through relationships instead of movements and techniques, I think, I think it it it, it opens up or it 
shifts your understanding to a, com- a complete um a, a complete different understanding of the game so much so you want to do you want to expand a little bit on what you yeah. meant by that about relationships because that's the way i speak yeah. to my team all the time we don't act in a vacuum no move or technique or anything that we think is the the, the product that we want to develop towards exist without everything else that's also present so the reason a guard pass looks the way it does or does the thing it does or a sweep or any pick any technique that you want to isolate and name it, it emerges because of a relationship that a, the human body has with interacting with another human body in this specific task context so the way we start learning how to get these outcomes or even repeat these movements is to take the, the new learner and put them in the environment from which those things emerge and as that new learner tries to move towards these outcomes they self-organize into behaviors based on the relationship that they're having currently between themselves and the information present in that given system. So the movement is a direct result of the individual performing tasks in the environment. That's what I mean by relationship. Those three things are interacting. And it's only when they interact that behavior comes out. Behavior has never come out without that. So I, that's, I, I'm going to cut. Is that enough for you, Scott? Is that what you were asking? Did I answer that clearly? No, I just think it's an important word that was, you know, Kit's talking about is the, the relationship he's build, building with writing. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. So think about it. He's writing. He He's literally grabbing something or typing or whatever, and he's trying to take his thoughts and he's putting them on paper. That transition from whatever we have in our thoughts on a paper is, is, is some type of process that we have to practice. And then we have to edit what's on paper and then keep doing it. And then we have to develop a relationship with our thoughts and expressing them for whatever reason we want to express them. And it's the constant doing of that that helps us do it better. And that's what Kit's saying too, and why his process of learning is so important or necessary. And to add to that necessity, think about this. Let's take all the things we do to learn, all the things that we say that let's just take jujitsu as the thing we want to get better at. Let's take all the things that we do. We, we watch tape, we think about it, we lift weights, we let's say we drill statically. Let's start taking those things away. Let's start taking all the different things we do away. What is left? At the end of the day, that would still allow us to be good and play the game of jiu-jitsu. What's the only thing in all of our actions that cannot be taken away? And that's grappling with a live body. You can take everything else out of the equation and still produce a result. But if you take away grappling with a live body, nothing works. So that's the foundation of it all. And so, and here's what's even really interesting. This is so true and we all know it. We all have an instinct for it. But for some reason, we ignore it. Think about it. When jujitsu didn't exist, when two bodies were just fighting, but we called it anything, what did they drill? Who told them what to drill? What model were they, were they, were they re- trying to replicate? They weren't. They were doing what we're talking about. Two novices don't know what the fuck is going on. And they're like, man, it would be super fun if we could learn how to kill each other. <laughs> and it's like, let's try to kill each other. And then... They try to kill each other. And again, the product that comes out of two guys that that had, don't have anybody else doing it and there's no other way to affect that system is going to look kind of rudimentary and kind of shitty. But if we start getting a lot of people doing that, oh, and then now we take that into history, what's going to come out is going to be beautiful and pure and much more effective, much more efficient over time. But it's only because people started doing and then they responded to the outcomes of what they had just done and they try to do it again based on the information they collected from those outcomes. Again, you can't you can't take that away. If you take that away, no learning happens. But take everything else away and just keep that. Learning still happens. Now, I, I, do, you, do you need to talk, kid? Am I talking too much? No, there's one. There's one relationship I want to 
talk about that that you that you said that uh, I want to connect that, but I can connect it afterwards. So keep going. On oh, and the one thing I was Scott, is, are you good on that too, Scott? Did I? Did no, I no, I, I just I, I don't think it's a word we should gloss over because I think as coaches start looking at the their practice environment and the outcomes and what's going on in practice is through the lens of uh, building relationships rather than seeing some binary. Uh, that worked, that didn't work kind of thing. That's that's all. I have a bigger challenge, you guys. I'm trying to do this for MMA, right? I got, I'm squeezing three sports together. And I don't, <laughs> teach, I don't teach them anything. I have the whole, you know, the whole thing about head trauma as well, the ethical side of things. But I, I, I can't, I can't fuck around at all. I can't waste one minute on the mats. You guys aren't, you guys are trying to avoid that too. But I've got even bigger challenge in that sense. So when I start talking to my students about relationships and I'm just looking for the the start of relationships to 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 develop, and that's what I'm looking through. I'm never really looking through an aesthetic lens or an ideal lens. I'm looking through a relational lens. And that's why I think is a it's an important, powerful word and a way of thinking for coaches and, and students. Yeah, I mean, the way I described this recently was looking at effect over aesthetic. So as a person tries to perform tasks in an environment, they're either successful or they're not. And we can always ask ourselves, do we produce the intended effect? What came out of that situation? And if we're looking at the effect of the relationship between the task individual uh, and environment, then we could suggest that we might be going in the right direction. Um, no, and so, I don't I don't want to hijack or, or pull you away from grappling, but this is a discussion I've been having. You know, I mean, coaches... Generally speaking, we're, we're talking generally. Coaches are are coaching and teaching for aesthetics and uh, technical ideals, but they don't give a fuck about that on game day. They they care what's working. Uh, I made the question the other day: what what is a good jab? Is a good jab is someone that looks you know mechanically sound and all the biomechanics are there and it's snappy and it has all the elements of what we consider an ideal jab. You don't give a fuck about that in a fight. You care which one's landing routinely and routinely. And I see all the time. You know, you see in the UFC, you can see um, even high level fighting. Uh, they can look good technically and aesthetically, but they don't have the perceptual attunement to, it's not necessarily the higher levels because they're good at it all, but especially in the lower levels, coaches don't really care about what the technique looks like on game day. They care about effectivity. No, for sure. I think we, we all do too. And, and we need that as our base function. Like we need that to come out first because we can't, manipulate something unless we first produce the effect that we're trying to. So like Kit in his writing example, can't write a better sentence unless he first writes any sentence. And once he writes a sentence, we can now see, did he get his intended effect to his intended audience for an intended reason? And if not, then we revisit and write more sentences. And so again, that that's the relationships, that constant interplay between actor, their environment, and their task that produces an outcome. And then the information that is present in that environment is what produces that outcome and that that it is the glue to that relationship. Uh, and so that's what I mean. I don't know if we beat that one into the, the ground or not. If, if anyone listening will know what we're talking about, but yeah, if we if we if we have a student drill, we take the athlete out of the environment from which the movement is necessary, and we we divorce that relationship. We break it up. Yeah, I, I can I can move on from the, the the word relationship. I just thought it was it was something that it's a word that resonates with me and something that I, I'm constantly talking to my team about. This uh, Kit wanted to talk about a relationship, and then yeah, I had to think about something that you. It was something you said, and it reminded me of like the way I write is is different to what most people write. And I'll give you an example of what most people do: is they they come up with this idea and they create an outline, and they say, "Okay, this is my idea. This is the character we're going to have. This is the outline." On scene one, they're going to do this. Scene two, three, four, and they they basically do something in jujitsu where like they create like a chain uh, of techniques they're going to do. 
You know what I mean? And I go, this is what's going to happen. And now we're going to like to drill it over and over again. And I hate that. I never learned that way at all. I don't like it. And the way I, I write is something that really, it brings a lot of people great stress because I tell people, all I do is I come up with an idea and I go, okay, this movie is set in 2025 uh, after, you know, all power uh, has, you know, we've run out of fossil fuels. That's my idea. And I have one character and I'm just going to start from there. And I and people do like, what do you mean you just start from there? Like you have you don't know what you got to do. It's like, and it's the same thing in jujitsu. It's like, you know, I have this, this, we're in this situation here, and this is my goal. Okay. And I don't know how the fuck I'm gonna do it. And but I'm gonna try and figure it out. And I'm gonna try and give it a shot. And every movement is going to inspire a, a new movement and an answer or a situation, you know, and I'm gonna create that environment, which you were saying, you know, with that person. And I do that on paper, is what I start, is I start writing something. And I don't know where I'm going with a lot of it, but every single sentence will inspire a new sentence and inspire something else. And I might write 10 pages of just like, uh, of shit that I'm thinking, this is just trash. And then suddenly on that 10th page, whatever I wrote inspired one idea that makes all of that worth it. Even if I remove the last nine pages, that one thing was worth it, but I would never get there if I didn't just throw myself in the environment and just try. And I feel like that's one of the biggest problems with with jujitsu and writing, the same thing is everyone wants to know exactly how to do something perfect before they even start. And they want to have, you know, strict instruction of, of what to do. And uh, it was just what you were saying just reminded me of the way I write. It's like, like I said, I don't do that. I just start writing. And a lot of other writers will never understand that. And just, th- and it'll also bring them great stress because, you know, we always want to know exactly what we're doing, you know, where are we going with things? And, 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 and I think a lot of people can't grasp the idea with jujitsu is like, you have all the, you know, most people anyway, have the ability to be able to solve these problems if you give yourself enough time to try and work it out. Just the same way you said that this, you know, we come up with jujitsu, you know, we're just trying things and just working things out. And then everyone has that ability. And I think a lot of coaches and a lot of, you know, participants don't give themselves that much credit. They think, oh, I could never come up with this stuff. You need to show me because this is just beyond me. This is so complicated. Jiu-Jitsu is so hard. I don't think Jiu-Jitsu is hard at all. I think Jiu-Jitsu no. is, is, is quite simple. I think it takes a long time and a lot of practice to get very good at it, but I don't think, I would never say it's hard. And I don't think anything is really too hard as long as you learn it the proper way. You know, for me, I think writing is now super easy. And I, I think that anyone can write, you know, you need to, you need to, do a couple of things, but all of, you know, all the knowledge and all the experience I get is just from doing. And that that's my, my, my one rule that I feel like has helped me with everything. And I, and I didn't just do, do, uh, you know, writing and, and jujitsu. I've also, I've been a top level gamer. I, I played inline hockey for the state. I played Australian rules football for the state and country. I was, uh, you know, I did jujitsu. There's about fucking five other fucking things that I did mostly at high level because I did the exact same thing with every single thing I was doing. I just went out there and I, and I just learned by trying to do it. You know, I didn't spend much time, you know, waiting for someone to tell me how to do it. It's like, I just want to get in there. I just want to make the mistakes and learn. I did the same thing with snowboarding. In like two weeks, I was at the level most people take a year to get to in snowboarding. I crashed about 500 times, which helps. You know what I mean? Like, you, what, what do you learn from? You learn from your mistakes. And if I'm allowing myself to make as many mistakes as I can and also giving myself the the time and patience to correct as many of those mistakes as I can, I'm going to get a lot better than what most people do because most people limit the uh, amount of mistakes they make 
and uh, and half the time never even try and f- fix them. And they think that's progression. It's like not making mistakes. You know, I'm good. So no, no, you've got to fucking make all of these mistakes as quick as you can, but learn from them. And, you know, don't make too big a mistake like snowboarding. Don't go and fucking hit a tree or something and die. Otherwise, that's not going to help. But, like, <laughs> I think as long as you can, you know, allow yourself to do that, you know, the same thing. So if, if it comes to writing, it's like the reason why I'm as good as what someone takes 10 years to, to get to in writing, and I did it in, like, two years – it's not because I'm uh, any kind of genius. It's because I made the same amount of mistakes as what someone takes 10 years to make. And I just made it in two years and I corrected those mistakes. And I feel like I did the same thing in jujitsu from a very, very early uh, stage. I was like, you know what? I, just, I don't care what we're supposed to do. I'm just going to try and do things. I'm going to try and make things happen and see what happens. And if I look stupid, so be it. It's training. And uh, it served me really fucking well. Well, what I really like about that idea, the trial and error idea, and also the reason why I cling to science so much is because the ecological approach actually describes this process. So I think one of the issues is that, let's say we're just in a digital community talking about learning, and we said, hey, what do you think learning is? What do you think learning is? Well, everyone would have these different ideas. Some will have colloquial ideas, some will have you know, ideas from this branch of science, this branch of science, but we don't really have some agreed upon idea of learning. So if we don't know what learning is, then how do we know what it looks like? If we don't know what it looks like, how do we know if we're on the process of doing it? How do we know that we're learning? How do we know? What mechanism are we using to measure it? Improvement, pro- what are we doing, right? So the, the way that the ecological approach looks at learning is first, the first stage is something they call attunement. And this is basically developing a relationship with what you're doing. And this starts with action. Okay, I intend to do this thing. I'm going to go do this thing. And so in the attunement process, as we're intending to do something, we our attention is now being captured by this process. And then we uh, learn to attune our attention to specific aspects of our task and environment to pick up information. And so that's the first part of learning. So through acting, we start to attune to information sources to help us act in the direction they want to act or reach the outcome that we're trying to reach. So that's the relationship Scott asked about. And that's what's being built when we first start approaching any problem. Um, Now, the next stage of the attunement is the coordination phase. This is so while we're attuning to that information, we're we're becoming more sensitive to it and we pick it up, we start coordinating everything that's about us, our mind, our body, the whole embodied system into structures that allow us to complete the task more effectively. All right. Great. Okay, great. So then then now we're coordinated into something. Now we have a movement. And this would be like being a shitty writer and never writing a single sentence, but then starting to understand what sentences, how they come together and then writing a really good sentence for your first time. Oh, great. I've, I've, I've coordinated into something. And the next stage is stabilization. So after we coordinate, we can now stabilize it. So now we have a, a, something, a solution that we can use. Okay, we can start applying it to a multitude of problem. And then that transitions to the, 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 the last phase, if there is even one, which is adaptation phase. This is where we start to adapt that stable skill by trying to perturb it with new challenges um, and, and, and new environments. And then the process continues and it's, it's ongoing. Attunement, coordination, stabilization, uh, adaptation. And it keeps going over and over and over and over again. And the whole system attunes to this and becomes more sensitive to this over time. And that's what we call skill eventually. And so that, but the only way we even start to achieve this is through acting and what you call making mistakes. Uh, like but that. again, yeah, so that, that's, that's, and that's why I, it, it explains a lot about how learning happens and, and what behavior actually is and why it's produced. So did you ever, did you ever look at uh, the OODA loop that the military use? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you like I've that? talked to, Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of special forces guys. They they always bring that up. You know what I mean? Because they have to make crazy decisions with limited information and a short period of time. So they have to have some way to to kind of jump over uh, all the stress and everything you're facing in real time on this novelty, and they have to be able to make a decision like that. 
you know? And so the military made a lot of attempts to try to understand this process, um, you know, you know, early on, like starting in like the seventies and eighties. I I think it's a a really good, you know, tool for beginners to understand what we're talking about when it comes to problem solving and why it's so effective compared to drilling as well. And, and what I always explain, and you've probably seen, uh, I forget what it was called, dirty, play dirty or something like that. They did this test on, uh, on shooting, uh, basketballs and they had Trevor Reagan, Trevor Reagan, was it? And uh, I'm pretty sure. So I'm just going to bastardize it into my memory of it. But basically what they found is that like whenever you're shooting a, a basketball, you, the first thing you do is you scan the environment. You know, how far am I away from this ring? On what angle am I? You know, how heavy is this ball? Is it slippery? You know, you look at the whole environment and then you come up with a solution. Okay. And then you execute that solution and then you evaluate its success. Did it fall short? Did it go too far? Was it too far to the right? And then what you do is you go back to the same spot and then you, you know, you have new information that you use. You, you know, you evaluate, sorry, you um, scan the situation, the environment again, come up with a new so- solution based on the new information you have. Maybe you're too far forward, so you bring it back a little bit, and then you shoot. And then eventually what happens is once you get it, then you start just repeating that process. You stop inv- scanning the environment, and you just repeat the process in which you had success. And that's what, you know, you see when you're drilling a technique. It's like at first when you're drilling a little bit wonky, and then you start getting it, and then, you you know, they, they get it, and they, they just go into memorization and not even really doing anything. Um, but what they found that by changing and varying the situation, what happens is you use your brain every single fucking time. So you're not just shooting it. You're also scanning the environment every single time. So you're not just developing physically in terms of developing, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that fucking, uh, thing that Greg hates muscle memory, GMP, uh, yeah, general, 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 uh, g- okay, general g- GMP, general motor program, generalized motor program. That's the scientific real term for what people are saying muscle memory is. remember that. It sounds like better too. GMP, generalized motor program. Instead of just developing the GMP, you are developing, you know, mentally as well because you're getting better at evaluating situations and stuff like that. So I think a good thing about, you know, when we talk about the way we're training is we're constantly doing that. We're never in the same situation twice. And I I would argue that you're never ever in the same situation twice. There's always going to be some variant in it. But most of them have have a large variance. So the fact that we you know what we're doing, I feel is so much more effective is because you're you're using your brain, you're developing your brain as well as just you know the GMP. Well, because we so the ecological psychologists don't think that there's a brain body. It's it is a it's a system. It's embedded. So it's a it's a mind in a body in an environment, and these things cannot be separated. So to try to separate them and you and train them individually is what's called decoupling. This doesn't. And this produces the negative effects that you're talking about. Uh-huh. But if, if we create training practices that assume, and I say assume because, again, they're still arguing in the science, we assume that the mind is in a body that's in an environment, it's all embedded, it's all, it's all linked together, that it needs to stay together in our practice, that we need to assume that they're all working together at the same time, and it's keeping them together that produces the fluidity or the adaptability that we would like our athletes to have in the face of novelty. So we're suggesting that it's an attunement to information problem. It's a, re- it's a, it's a relationship problem, not a neurological or mechanical problem. So when we think that there's an optimized arm movement to throwing a basketball, then if we just train that optimal thing, we miss everything else that makes somebody successful at successfully shooting a basket. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Did you ever look at the, um, the amygdala's role in uh, memory retention? No. So I, so part of the, the weakness of uh, my understanding of any of, of all this stuff is that I, I, you know, 
I started in the cognitive psych- psychological field with you know generalized motor programs and all this other stuff, and then I transitioned over into the ecological approach with direct perception. But I'd, I know nothing about physiology of the brain. I don't know anything about the different parts and what they do. Nothing. I I I, I almost look at it solely from a pragmatic lens. I, I don't go any deeper than a real person interacting in a real environment producing an outcome. Nice, nice. Well, I, I'll make it really quick for anyone listening, but um, they've they've discovered. A long time ago that the amygdala had a huge important role in how deep to store information and if you kind of break down humans into two very simple objectives it's uh survive and procreate okay biologically really and the the whole learning situation what is learning it's really just a survival tool so that you you know you have a dangerous situation someone hits you with a fucking club this bald guy comes out hits you and <laughs> you, you you need to learn from that in the future so you don't get killed by the same dude or something like that um, and what they found is the amygdala is in charge of how deep to store information and it does it based on how emotionally aroused we are, you know, and sure. that's kind of, it's like little mechanism of figuring out whether it's a dangerous situation that we need to learn to survive from, or whether it's, you know, you trying to memorize a code to get into someone's front door and, and just come say hi. And, uh, one important thing, which I works for the way we train is everything is live and everything is real so that your amygdala is always active. And yeah. to even heighten that in more, you know, you can just put more pressure on yourself. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure if any of you guys have noticed or had the same experience, but anytime I went and compete uh, in, in jujitsu or something, and I came back to training, I felt like I leveled up. Like oh, I felt we like, see it all the time. Yeah, it's just a huge difference. And I think one of the one of the uh, contributors to that is that when you're competing, you're so emotionally aroused because you're fucking scared, you're nervous, you're excited, you're terrified. All those kind of things come in, depending on who you are. And your brain and your amygdala is so overactive that it's telling your brain, oh, we need to store all this information is fucking super important to survive because we are we're we're under attack right now and we need to survive this in the future. So it's storing a lot more information. You know, and then you compare that to someone that's doing static drilling. There's no emotional arousal, maybe for the first two reps while your coach is looking, and then you're just doing the same shit. You know, half the time you're sitting there thinking about what you're gonna eat later on or what fucking, you know, what you're gonna search on Pornhub, but you know, you don't have that same uh emotional arousal as what is what you do and i think it's important for for you know coaches to make sure that your environment you know is congruent with what you want to achieve which is making an emotionally aroused uh environment where you know not, not too much well, that fucking break down have a fucking nervous sure. meltdown but just enough that it's exciting that you're constantly stimulating them well because that's the environment we're going to try to perform in so one of the things that uh, one of the terms that I say often is this representative design. And they talk about this a lot and the ecological approach. It's a, it's an important tenet. So practice should be representative of the performance environment. And basically what this means is that the, the, the practice tasks should have a relevant source of information. Meaning if you're going to be shooting basketballs against uh, another player, there must be another player there trying to defend them in practice. So there's got to be the correct information source. And that's a simple example of it. The second is action fidelity. This means that the actions that you're going to be taking in this practice session should be the same actions or similar actions you're going to be taking in the performance context. Uh, and the last, there needs to be multiple affordances. So there needs to be multiple sources of information that uh, that you're reading to produce this, to get this outcome. And so when we're talking about a jiu-jitsu match, we're also talking about the psychology that's going into that too. So it's a highly aroused state where you're, like you said, nervous, scared, excited, all those fucking things. So if we don't turn that on in practice, going to competition is going to be the first time you've ever felt that. And that constraint is going to affect the emergent quality of the behavior. So 
we constrain it in practice in variable ways. We can do it by like having people two people fight in the room and everyone else watch. We can do it by, you know, putting short time on the clock. So, but either way, we have to st- stimulate those centers of the brain that gets excited and aroused and get our heart rate up and get us nervous. We need those. So yeah. like it, it, practice should be as competitive as the performance environment. However, there is a negative side to this too. When they're like, you just sort of mentioned when the arousal state is too high, it blocks all the good effects we're looking for. Yeah. So we, we have to be careful. This is why we can't compete every day to get good. If we competed every day to get good, we, we'd get smoked in four weeks. Yeah. Like no yeah. learning would happen. Yeah. So we have to walk a fine balance in designing practice, but emotional arousal has to be part of what we're doing. And I, and I think you touched base on the, when it comes to like, when I talk about people, talk about people, talk to people about task-based games. I'm always trying to explain that the best game is something that is, you know, is difficult, or at least the best problem is something that's difficult enough that is really challenging you, but not too difficult that you can't do it and not sure. too easy that you're unchanged. There was, um, what with what you were just saying, I, I want to give an example of how that is so fucking effective. When I was, uh, my brother was coaching a football team back in Australia and in 2014, I, I got my black belt for about a year and I, I kind of just didn't really care that much about jiu-jitsu anymore. And I uh, I just, I, I basically retired from jiu-jitsu. I kind of looked at it. And I was like, you know what? I got my black belt in four years. I'm competing against the best guys in the world. Some I'm beating, some I'm losing. If I do lose, it's by like a fucking advantage or something really small. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I train really hard for another couple months and compete in all these world championships, I could probably win. But I'm like, I don't think it's going to change my life much anymore. I want a new challenge. And I decided to get into acting. And, and I went back to Australia and uh, my brother was coaching football and I used to play football as well. I actually got like recruited to play for one of the top teams before I quit uh, originally. And uh, he was coaching. So I thought, oh, I'll go and have a run with them. And I, I did one training session. I was like, oh man, I love this. This is fun. I did another <laughs> one. And suddenly I'm fucking... I'm in a meeting and they're like, oh, look, we'll pay you this much to play. So I was like, oh, fuck it. Let's go. Let's go. So um, and I, I I take on the assistant coaching role. And uh, my brother had this, because we were at the bottom of the ladder. The team was at the bottom of the ladder the year before. And uh, we knew that we had a very young side and their skills were very lacking. Okay. And what we were doing was we would... Uh, my brother made this rule that if anyone dropped a catch, so let's say you kick it to another player and they drop the ball, the whole team would get uh, 10 push-ups, okay? Or if anyone kicked it to somebody else and missed the target, we would get 10 push-ups. So what happened is everyone started slowing it down, you know what I mean, and just making sure they hit it, make sure they caught it, and it just wasn't great. And I said I said to my brother, and it was hard to say my brother because he's, you know, he had a little bit of an ego about it, but he was good after a while. I said, listen, this is not going to be congruent to what you want to achieve in competition because when they they can do this really slow now, but when they go out there on the day and they've got someone going full pelt, that's going to be such a fucking drastic change. I said, let's change it, okay? And I said, I changed the rules. And I said, listen, the only time you're going to get 10 push-ups is if you're not going at 100%, okay? And it doesn't have to be 100, but at a high level. I want them to put pressure on themselves because I knew they didn't want to miss the targets. They didn't want to drop the catches. They really want to hit those. That's just inevitable. They want to do that. But what I wanted them to do is I wanted to put enough pressure on themselves. So I said, you guys have to do this at 100%. And the only time you're going to get push-ups is when you're not, not going at 100%. I don't care if you miss the target or whatnot. Just give it, you know, put pressure on yourself. And then, fuck, man, it picked up so much because they were now, they were now incentivized and motivized, uh, motivated by trying to hit targets at 100%. And then they, they went into the uh, the match, 
bro, we went from the bottom to the top of the ladder because their pressure was fucking unbelievable. They just so they trained like that. So they felt like so I, I feel normal. This is like an everyday, you know, situation when they went in the games and they just they dominated. It was so fucking cool to see. I mean, those are constraints. The constraints that approach works, you know. So because it it solves the problems that explicit instruction can't. And so you know, but that's another thing that you said, like you had to tell them to go hundred percent. Well, that, so we could even do that better. We could find a way to put rules or constraints in the game in some way to make that happen without saying, without telling people to do hundred percent. Now, if that's the only thing we have and we don't fucking know, yeah, guys go hundred percent because every guy's going to have a different measure of what they think that means. But either yeah. way, it's going to add that stress into the environment. It's going to, okay, we got to go, we got to go. And so, but the goal is like, we know the, the more the research does this is that instructions matter how we give them has an effect. So if we just, we, we, we can be an arrogant as coaches. Oh, I told them to go hundred percent, but why aren't they? Well, what the fuck does a hundred percent mean? How, how do we, how do we, do, do you have a mechanism for hundred percent? I don't, I, I try, I guess. Am I going hundred percent? I have to ask myself. So anyway, you know, so I think that that's what everyone is onto. Like, so you even doing that for that practice is amazing. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. We have to make sure that whatever constraint we set isn't countered by some other one that will affect us in the performance environment. So making sure that all the constraints we set are representative and follow a, a myriad of rules uh, that the ecologists are saying should be present to create a good ecologically sound practice. And so, yeah, it's, it's managed, it's manipulated constraints to guide the outcome uh, in a direction that you would prefer to go in. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's great. I wanted to, oh, wanted to bring something up too, uh, before we get talking to ourselves into exhaustion. One of the, one of the criticisms I, I hate that you get that you got previously, cause I, I followed you back in 2014, we watched all your matches. I even watched when you got strangled by Gary Tonin and all of this stuff. Like we, we watched, we watched all your matches, man. Cause you know, we were a fan of the guy who doesn't drill. Cause that's what we were doing. But uh, anyway, that was my um, worst match I ever fucking did. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, was I, like, I was away in I was away in Turkey for two weeks, and they they offered me that match, and they said it was gee, and I said okay, let's do it. I only trained gee at the time; I never did no gee. And then uh, and then like four days before, they changed it and said, look, he doesn't want to do gee. Can we do no gee? I was like, fucking okay, let's do no gee. So I started training no gee, and I was there, and I knew I was unfit, and I knew that like he was super fit. And I hadn't been training and I was like, I, I need to take it really slow and just let him burn a little bit of energy. And then at around the five or six minute mark, I'll start putting some effort into it. So I got, when he stood up and he wrestled me and I thought, oh, good, this is going to be perfect. He's going to shoot on a, a single leg and I can just let him just work his way and tire him out. And then he snapped me down into a guillotine. And I remember in that moment, I thought, just this thought came in my head. Someone reminded me, said, be careful. He's got a really good guillotine. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I went, I tried to do this escape, almost got it. And then, yeah, he ended up getting me. I was mad because I didn't even feel like I put any effort into the fight yet. And that was the one thing that, that was a, my, probably the, the fight that most people saw. I'm like, man, that's like the worst representation of me. But continue. Just, oh, no, I'm just teasing you because uh, like that was like, because you were doing, uh, competitively, you were, you were very successful leading up to that point. And I think that's what kind of got you that match. Plus you were saying that drilling doesn't work. And so of course people wanted to challenge you and try to put you up front so they could talk shit about you. That's how they all do it. Right. Like yeah. my two athletes, my two best athletes just lost last weekend and it, it was bad for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been kind of hiding for the last week and you know, my feelings, <laughs> whatever. And the, the haters are as loud as they're ever, they ever were, man. It's uh -huh. going crazy. So uh -huh. I know they did that to you too. So I'm just saying, yeah. but yeah, one of the, the things they used to say about you that I used to just, I dislike is when they would say about your other stuff. Oh, he played football, but he, you know, he played, he, you know, he, he did rugby or whatever. He did all that shit. Well, yeah, 
that shit fucking matters. Like, uh-huh. act, so what you have is like action capacity, fast, strong guy who's used to grangling bodies and grabbing bodies, throwing bodies around and being competitive and being in a sporting context and trying effortfully. So if we take you and put you into jujitsu and you're touching people who aren't used to doing that, you're going to smash them. Like, uh-huh. and it, but it's really important to know, uh, and it's not actually a negative that you come from that thing. It's a positive. And so this is, a, this is another thing that I'm trying to argue for too. Like let the athletes be the athletes. So like, you know, in my gym, I don't tell people to calm down, go slowly. Like, no, don't be, be less explosive. Don't push your partner so hard. I don't say any of that shit because I think that letting someone be themselves and, and express themselves athletically and, and let that capacity come to fruition as they're developing skill will produce a more uh, robust skill set because it allows them to express themselves how they how they naturally would. Um, and I know this is that's kind of late for me saying that. I wanted to talk about that like 30 minutes ago when we were bringing up um, no, no. I, I, I think two things. I, I think I agree with you. The only time I ever intervene is when I feel like one thing is making, uh, for example, if, if one guy is like just explosive the whole time or no, not explosive, they're just one speed high the whole time. I'll try and explain to him like, look, the thing is you're, you're going to become predictable. You know, you want to start, you know, that's the only time I intervene. It's like, I feel, if I feel like, you know, by changing your rhythm or something can be more, uh, you know, it will, will be more positively effective on what you're trying to do because you're going to be far less predictable than that. That's the only time I intervene. So I, I love what you did there. Um, with football, so the thing that helped most with football, we didn't do much. To, I was playing Australian rules football, so we didn't really practice much tackling. And one is because you're going to get hurt too, too often than not in in uh, training like that because you're starting from stand and you're hitting like fucking hard ground a lot of the time. So the tackling, my tackling wasn't that great at all. Um, what I did have was a good center of gravity because we've got to like, if someone is trying to tackle, you got to move around a little bit. We didn't practice much of that. The best thing, honestly, was uh, the coaching that I had because I was playing at a high level in Australia. We had really good coaches. So it was a lot of like philosophical lessons that I had and, and, that that I brought over to uh, jiu-jitsu that helped me a lot. I can't remember them now, but I remember I used to talk about them a lot, but there was a lot of like good coaches that influenced me really well that helped more than anything with my jiu-jitsu because even when I first started jiu-jitsu, I got fucked up by like you know little little people and stuff i remember watching my little people yeah there's this little guy and i was looking at him and they're playing half guy i'm like i'm gonna fuck this dude up and then he just smashed me and i was like god damn that was what made me realize fuck i really need to learn this because yeah felt like you know i was nowhere near as strong as what i am now i just i've just gotten bigger as i've gotten older but i was still athletic and fit and i'm just like okay that fucking didn't help me much at all uh this guy still smashed me so that's what i wanted to learn but i you know a lot of people there was that, you know, a lot of people fucking, the worst thing was always like, oh, you haven't won a black belt world championship yet. I'm like, fuck, bro. Like, do you have to win a black belt world championship to have any kind of, uh, you know, validity in what you're teaching or anything like that? Like, it was always like what I haven't done. And it, to me, it's like, I, I honestly think, and this is 100%, I honestly think if I put a good two or three months in with, you know, and got fit with some good good guys, if I went to train with Gordon Ryan and all those, uh, Giancarlo or Craig Jones and that, I think I could go and win a Black Belt World Championship for sure. I I, I believe it 100%. Whether it would happen or not, there's so many things that can happen in a Jiu-Jitsu tournament. You know, you could fucking go out there with the best guy first round and lose by ref's decision. You know, these kind of things happen, but I definitely think that I could, and I think there's a good chance that I would. I just don't care about it enough. Uh, and there's always been a, you know, with me, there's always been a little bit of an internal debate with like, do I fucking prove these guys wrong and show them like that, that I could win black belt or is it even worth that? Well, um, there's no one to prove yourself to because these fuckers who are saying it haven't done anything like fuck, like blue, purple, they haven't done anything yeah. like all these coaches that want to talk about coaching. Who have you coached? 
at any level, mm-hmm. at any difficulty, zero, you know, all these, the, oh, you have to be a black belt said by the blue belt. Like, you don't yeah. like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? So I don't think it's like, a, even though like I, I bitch and I complain, I talk about Reddit. I really don't like that. I, I joke with my guys. Like I'm the hate shield, like throw mm-hmm. it at me, bro. Cause I don't give a fuck because at, at, you know, when we're out there competing, those high level competitors, we're interacting with each other. You know, I, I, it's the other high level coaches that I'm shaking hands with them. It's my students facing their students. Uh-huh. Go ahead. You, you're you're going to have fun with your girlfriend watching us compete at home. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you'll never be anybody. Fuck what I, I might fail. I might, I might be totally wrong. Like I just took a super, super hard loss for me emotionally last weekend. You know what I mean? We put a lot of work into that shit. That fucking sucks. You know what I mean? It, it's fucking awful. So but, it was your two guys that like, I think I saw one of them. One of the losses was that he went for a fireman carry right and got arm arm bar. That that was Gavin. That's the little brother. Yeah, is that yeah. the that's the one one of them you're talking about? What what happened with the other one? So uh, this DeAndre came to me three years ago, and the whole thing was that he and I were going to work together, and I was going to take him to the highest level. He was like, "This is where I want to go, coach." I'm like, "This is where I want to go too." It's you and me all the way. Let's go, buddy. So we started working, and now I he came to me as a black belt, like a lot of great action capacity, very physical, very dedicated. He's had all the things that you want a good athlete to have. He didn't need an accountability buddy. He's very coachable. He was exactly who I wanted to walk into my room. Yet he wasn't technically sound. And I, people don't believe me when I say this, but I'm, it doesn't even matter. I'm not going to discuss that anymore. This is how we interpreted him. So the goal was to get him out there, start competing, and to teach him how to put his jujitsu together into. Uh, uh, in a high level way. So he can compete against these best guys. And, you know, he kept reaching to the top and get knocked down, reaching to the top, get knocked down every year. But this year we started in January. He'd won all the ADCC opens. He'd won every match he's had. He's like on fire. This guy's like 50 and 0 doing his thing. The guy he, so we get there, we get out there. He submits his first three or four guys with ease. Like it wasn't even difficult. And then he gets the guy, Dominic Meha. Dominic Meha, he had beaten twice previously in the last couple months. He had beat him first with criteria wins. And then the second time he beat him, he strangled him unconscious from the back. So like, yeah, D's got this guy's number ready to go. So we get him in the round of 16. And uh, at first, D picks up some steam, doing some good stuff. And then all of a sudden he starts falling behind uh, in positioning. And within like 90 seconds left, a kind of crazy exchange happens and Meha comes up and takes his back, you know, gets the three, Match ends, D loses. Big, uh, great on Mayha. Like I shook the kid's hand. I was like, God damn, congratulations, man. You just, you just took it from us. Um, but anyway, that's what happened. And it was just three years in the making. We were at the doorstep to a big tournament that we wanted. Every, every, every ounce of money and energy that I've had in the last three years has gone into this athlete and going in this direction uh, and building this, this team. And it just was our, it was a hard loss, man. And then his little brother, um, who just graduated college earlier this year, just moved down here. He's been training with us on the weekends previous to this. So he's been in our room full time for three months and he went out there and shot that fireman's carry and got arm locked. So yeah, it was tough, man. It was, it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard. No, man, was look, this is the problem with jujitsu and this is why I don't put uh competition. That's why I don't put that much emphasis on competition is what most people do. It's like, imagine watching a tennis match that finishes in the first game. You know, it's like, did the best, person win like no we don't know because like anything can happen in you know jiu-jitsu you can get fucked, sure. you can make one mistake i watched that fireman carry okay the one mistake i would say that he made is his hips his hips were on the ground so they were yep. you know the other guy was like was able to do it it's like one little fucking mistake and i make a million of them every every single session and that one just cost him you know yeah. was he was he better or was he worse who fucking knows? You know, right. I would say like if I was going to like really look at jujitsu as a proper like to see who really is the best, it would have to be over fucking like 
you know, hours of time of these guys going against each other and figuring each other out and trying to work and see who comes up at the end, who can For figure sure. each other out and problem solve match. Jiu-Jitsu, we're, we're like, we're testing fucking uh, like long distance athletes in a, like a hundred meter sprint and seeing who can win. And this is why a lot of, there's a lot of world champions out there that I don't think are very good, but they're fucking super athletic, explosive, and they know the points and, uh, this is I, when I saw the Lloyd Irvin post and I, I thought it, it just doesn't mean shit to me producing, like get a super fucking athletic guy and get him to win. Like it doesn't mean that much to me. I'm like, I want to see you like take multiple people over a span of time. And that, and this is why like, you know, people say this guy, this coach is the best. This coach is the best. Look, he produced this guy. I'm like, well, that coach also has a, a hundred other students. Why are none of those guys doing any well? Why is it just one fucking random guy that came in there? Because that one guy that came in there was going to be good. You know, that was a Kit Dale. He's going to come in and he's not even going to listen to what you say and he's just going to be good anyway. <laughs> and you can claim it as like, you know, it was my teaching is like, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But ultimately, there's very few coaches that are producing results through all their students. And, and you know, a lot of it's like, you know, you can't polish a turd sometimes. You're going to get some students that are just like, no matter what I say to this student, He's going to go do his own thing, and his own thing is just not the right thing, you know. And there's others that, like I said, you can say it anything, and they're going to go do the right thing. And um, what I would always, you know, suggest to like someone yourself is like, you you got to look at things in the long run. And you're a young guy now. You've got fucking years and years and years to to keep going. You're going to get, you know, regardless of what I let's say these two brothers were at the the last tournament they're going to do, right? Let's say hypothetically, you're going to get more of those coming through, and more of those, and more of those. So I always look to the the long run and, and not to get burnt out about like the short term results because what you're looking for is this going. Oh up no, for sure. Time, not uh, uh, not that. You know, but that's also for people that are watching that need to understand that as well. Anyone can lose. I've gone and I went that match with Gary Tone. Not saying I would have beaten gary tonin back then i think i had a good chance to beat him um but i make one little fucking mistake and everyone judges you from that and there's been other matches where i've gone against other really good people and uh and it's been the opposite they've made one little mistake that i've counted uh, capitalized on and then suddenly people are kids better than that guy it's like no no kid just beat that guy in one tournament you know he's not you know we don't know what the fuck it is maybe he is maybe he isn't but there's so much to jujitsu and so much of it has got to be like you know, and that's why I like training. I like training with the same guys because you get a chance to really start figuring out each other's games. And with me, the more I've trained with someone, the better it's gotten every single time because I'm always trying to figure people out and, and work out what they're doing and then completely deconstruct their whole game and get them to the point where they're like, I don't fucking know what to do because everything I seem to do seems to be the wrong thing. And that's why I like it. Competition was never really good for that because you don't get the time to work people out. You're kind of getting in there and you're just like, okay, we go. And you fucking, you're just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then suddenly the fucking match is over and the time's up and you don't even get a chance to really work anything out. Um, I mean, so I, I mean, there's a lot of play. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I don't judge myself off that single competition. I was smoked from the effort we had put in over the last three years. And to, and I, I'd never been more confident in something in my life. Everybody's asking me who's going to win this division. My guy's going to win this division. Like I believe in my athletes. I spend all my time with my athletes. I don't, I don't do anything else. Like they're my guys for life and I'm, I'm with them through the thick and thin, no matter what. So I'm, oh, I'm boots on the ground. So you know, in my mind, it was we got it. We got this one in the bag. Not not as like it, I was expected to win. Of course, it's it's, it's who you show up out that day. It's the effort. It's everything. But it, yeah, I, I understand that very very well. Um, you know, I judge myself based on a few different criteria. So one is my room. Nobody will come here and say you anything other your than bedroom for a second. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one will come to standard jujitsu and say anything other than that my students are good. We got people make a joke about it. like when people go to the Black Temple. 
they either never go there again or they come back as evangelists. Um, and so, because I do have, like you're saying, I can take a regular person who is by no means ever going to be a competitor is any good, but I can make them skillful at the game. I have a room full of them. Um, but, but, uh, uh, so I, I know there's a lot that goes into it. So I judge myself based on that. How can I affect the people that walk into my room? So check. Yes, I'm able to do that. Um, can I take someone and develop them through the levels? Check. I've done that. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, I've also decided to take on the responsibility of what you said. I try to take a marathon runner and I make them a, a sprinter. I want to challenge my, my training method for my students against novelty. Mm-hmm. I want to see if that I can create a student that is immune to novelty, which is what a competitor is. Mm-hmm. They're able to take that unknown situation on that random day against that unknown player and they're able to pull through and be the top. And so I'm, I'm, I'm taking the responsibility of the consequences of succeeding and failing in that environment. So I know clearly what I'm doing. And that one environment doesn't judge me totally, wholly as a coach. Because again, I fill many shoes. I produce athletes at many levels for many reasons. But the central goal here is making highly skilled, variable players, whether they compete or not, they're good at playing the game of jiu-jitsu. So... Um, I have a question for you. When when yep. you're te- when you're teaching, how much technical explanation do you give? And if you do, when is it? Well, it depends on what you mean by the technical explanation. Because what we understand is that explanatory processes or explicit instruction can work in specific situations, but it's it's a single tool and it should be used as limited at li- uh, on a limit. Okay, you shouldn't uh-huh. use it often. So what? Do you, so are you asking how do I get my so students example, to produce outcomes? Like for example, and a lot of people always question me about this, so I wanted to ask you: like, if uh, if I'm teaching a class, how much technical teaching do I give them, and how much you know do I just put them on their own and say this is what you're doing? So how much? Uh, so, so neither. So none of those things describe how my practice works. So let me get, I'll, I'll try to give you an example so you can understand. So we teach two invariants. So that's the first thing you have to understand is that the things that never change, person to person, body to body, moment to moment. We base where we put our students. Okay, so when we teach two invariants, we use that invariance to focus our students' intention and attention. So what that means is I set a situation. I define that situation for my students. I'll give you an example. This is the mounted position. The mounted position is a pin. A pin is when a top player passes the bottom player's legs and holds them down to the mat chest to chest. This specific pin is called the mount. So I define it for them, Mm -hmm. right? That's the first thing. The first thing I do takes 10 seconds or less. And then I give them an objective. Our goal here is to hold our partner down and stay on top of our opponent. That's the goal of the class. And then I give them their task focus, depending on what we're going to, what are going to be building into the mounted position. So maybe I'll give a seemingly random one. Today in the mounted position, as we stay on top and hold our partner down, our job is to keep our hands on our opponent's wrists. We're going to try to stay on top and hold her down by staying a hold of our partner's wrists. You can pin the wrist of the body. You can pin the wrist of the mat. You can put the wrist wherever you want, but you got to keep a hold of them. If you lose a wrist, go back and get it again. Bottom player, your job is to push the top player off you and put your legs back in front or push the top player off for you and get out from underneath them, whatever go and we have them play. So that's exactly what I do in class. I don't explain anything to them. Mm-hmm. I, I define the situation. I give them the objective and I give them task focuses to help guide them towards the ultimate objective we'll be working over the days and weeks and months and the next few months, because I've created a program to push people in a direction by constraining them or limiting options. So they can focus, they can better focus their intention, attention towards the outcomes that I want them to try to achieve. So there is no teaching in the traditional sense. I, I see myself as a practice designer mm-hmm. and a guide to behavior. I, I mean, I, I lecture sometimes, but very limitedly in a, in a very limited fashion. And I give explicit instruction in a very limited fashion. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, so let's say, and this is for anyone that doesn't know, including myself, and hopefully uh, only if you want to share this, you might not like sure. it. But like, what, what is a class, when you run a class, how long does a class go for? And what is it, how does it, how is it usually structured? So it, I, I, everyone who's listened before kind of knows this. So I structure an hour long class. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I got you, man. You I got you, man. It's okay. You don't have to listen to me beyond this episode or beyond our phone conversations. I, I hate myself too. And hearing myself talk, I'm starting to get tired of it. But, um, <laughs> I have an hour long class. The first 30 minutes, we center around a given situation. So we split foundations class into guarded lessons and pinning lessons. So guarded lessons are situations and constraints that help us develop any guarded structure or the, or defined as having our legs pointed at the top player in some orientation, top and bottom player fighting each other over something. The next portion of class are pinning situations. This is defined as situations once we're past the legs, pinning the opponent chest to chest to chest to back. And so a typical class would be the first 30 minutes, we focus on a guarded or pinning structure. And then the next 30 minutes, we flip-flop and do the opposite. So if we did a guarded structure for the first 30 minutes, we'll do a pinning structure for the next 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, in the first 30 minutes, it's new information or new task constraints or new objectives that the students may not have been exposed to already. The last 30 minutes are uh, task constraints and situations that they have been previously exposed to in the class. Um, and so we play the whole game of jujitsu every day. So every day, every week, we do guarded and pinning situations in varying degrees based on new information or current lesson plans. Do you, uh, and do you like have any kind of free rolling or is that more for like, you have free rolling classes or something like that? So the way we do it is the first 30 minutes, we, uh, we, we do basically three different, say six minutes separated by three and three. So three, six minute games. And then uh, in the guarded situation and three, six minutes games in the pinning situation. And the last game of the day is an open roll. Uh -huh. And so that's our class. So three constrained rounds from guarded situations, three constrained rounds from pinning situations, and then an open round starting from whatever position we started the day in. So if we started the day in the mount, we'll do a regular round starting from the mount. If we did the, the, the close guard, we start in the close guard. And I, I cue them or I try to constrain them to focusing, hey, the whole game and the small games are the same. We're going to take the task constraints we use in the mini games today. And we're going to try to apply them to the whole game today as you see it. Anyway, uh -huh. And so that's what we do day to day. Uh, so that's Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday and Saturday, we have uh, open mat, which is all live rounds. It's 10 minutes, 10 minute rounds from for two hours. No situations, just live goes starting from the feet. So what, what kind of uh, somersaults do you get them to do in warmups? Uh, we, we do those outside. We put the people outside. We lock the door and say, come back when you're done. Yeah, fuck, fuck that. That's good. That's good. I like that. Thank you for explaining that. Greg, sure. this this brings us on a, a important thing. You mentioned intention, attention, and um, we've had this discussion before, so I'm going to let you run with it. Uh, talk a little bit about self-organization and why every single coach, whether they uh, acknowledge it or admit it or not, believe in self-organization. For sure. So self-organization is just the process by which we self-organize under the constraints of the task we're performing. This happens whether we prescribe to the ecological approach or not. So most coaches know this because they'll say this, they'll say, here's, here's, you know, we're going to drill statically this movement, right? And then they'll, and then afterwards they'll situational spar from that, that situation, let's say, and the student will not be able to accomplish it. And they'll ask the coach, Hey coach, how do I do it? You know what every coach says, figure it out. You'll figure it out in time. It'll make sense to you in time drill enough and spar enough, it'll make sense to you in time. So all coaches believe in self-organization. They just think it's special to their brand. They don't realize that self-organization is the model by which all creatures learn, really, even you know, non-sentient creatures. You know, mushrooms do it like that too. Um, so, you know, yeah. So every, every coach is already using it. They just don't know 
that it's happening in the background. Um, is that what you meant, Scott? Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Like, like even the most detailed oriented coach that might be designing a static drill or whatever, and they say just that, you know, you're going to oh. put your hand, put your hand here. Okay, ro- roll with that. I mean, there's, yeah, so, there's, there's still there's self-organization is still implied. Well, of course it is, because let's say let's say I'm a coach. I say, okay, the secret to the secret detail to the air hook is putting your armpit pressure right there where your hair grows on the edge of their pinky toe and press to a 45 degree. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's so detailed. That's so perfect. How the fuck do you know that when your student does that, they're doing what you just said? And how do they know that you're, they're doing what you just said? Right? How, how do we know this? What, what information is communicated between your great detail and them doing it? How do you know that's exactly what they're focused on? You know, um, And so even if, let's say they are, let's imagine that they are, they don't have all those sensations you just described. So even if you gave them all those details and you said, okay, go figure it out, that's what they're going to have to do anyway. They're going to have to develop a sensation or a, a relationship with all those things you just said. So they're still going to have to self-organize, even if you give them all those details that you think are so magical. So no matter how you like, no matter how you try to get out from under it, your students are using a model of self-organization every time they do live live sparring. No matter whether you have to drill statically, whether you explain something to them, whether you use explicit information, at the bare minimum, a student must act in the grappling environment with intention to start learning. And they're doing that whether they listen to you or not. It's it's the foundation of it all. I think that's the point that I was, you know, trying to get you to explain it before that the self-organization is doing the heavy lifting. And even if you say go out and grab the wrist, the 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 hand, the arm still has to self-organize to achieve that task. That's right. Because when so you at, give it details, at whatever level of analysis you look at, their self-organization is doing the heavy lifting. For sure. And and I guess the mistake is to assume that it's the information you just told them that is what's doing it. Right. And, and again, people hear things differently. I mean, think about it. You could, I guarantee John Denneher, no matter how good his explanation is, no matter how good his analysis is, no matter how perfect his drill technique is, when he looks out at his room of, you know, 50 people, I guarantee he looks at it with disgust because none of them or most of them are probably not doing it exactly how he described it. And if it's the depth of the explanation, if it's the clarity of the explanation, why are students messing it up? You know, why? Well, I know why they're messing it up is because the way we organize our information has nothing to do with what you just explained to them. That's not how that's not we're infer- like it's what we're arguing. Information is direct. It's the relationship that you currently have with the information source you're currently interacting with. That produces the quality of behavior, not what the coach just told you. And what they told you uh, doesn't affect your learning in the way that you think it does. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I I guess I, I'm convinced by the science. So to me, it sounds even silly to say it out loud. Why do you that's think? Good. And I have my own theory on this, but why do you think? Because there is a lot of coaches like that uh, that know so many small details to techniques and uh, in things that I would find absolutely no fucking joy in all in studying. I would have the last thing I'd ever want is to be looking at those kind of little details that I feel like make almost no difference as you (laughs) explain. Why do you think so many people will see that and be like, oh, my God, this guy's the fucking most amazing coach in the world, even though they haven't fucking gotten better at all? Through watching their products, I'd like I to. It, uh, sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, no, Scott. Okay, no, I, I think because I think uh, this notion that students are passive receivers of information and they go out and do it, uh, this has created this kind of narrative that these fine details are synonymous with effective coaching, and I couldn't disagree more. I don't think yeah. they're unimportant, and I don't think that knowledge from the coach is unimportant. I think, in fact, I think it's crucial because it helps them design the practice. But I think exactly when right. it's when this has become synonymous with 
you know, and we see it in seminars and whatever, and everyone's, you know, jerking off over some detail that they learned or whatever. I do think they're important, but that this this is, uh, I, I, think, I guess, Greg, yourself, we look at coaching through a different lens. So I don't find that uh, it's important. It's an aspect, but that to me is not, uh, that doesn't epitomize effective coaching. Well, I think a lot of these coaches feel like they need, they have, they have to put themselves above it all by speaking above it all. Like, oh, look how many details I know. I know so much. You should probably learn from me. Look how many details I know. I know so much. You should probably buy my DVD. Look at all my details. Look at how much I know. You should probably hire me for a seminar. So I think there's a lot of financial incentive to, to keep this going because, uh, because it sells. And I think the other thing is, is students like it. The reason they like it is I think we have this strange psychological disposition to take our heroes and put them up above us. And we like to reach up as they rain the pennies down on top of our heads. I, I think there are some people that really get off on that and uh, you know they like it. Um, and I think they want it to be like that. So whether it's effective or not is beside the point. I think, again, they like the cultural experience or the that cultural expectation of having a leader that delivers them down information. Again, because it seems so prevalent. People love to talk about how good their coach is because they know the details, even though they themselves are, are garbage. Like I've had students come in here and train. We've been like 13, 14, 15 years, young athletic guys. I'm not talking about the old crippled 45 year olds like, like Scott. Just kidding. Um, 47. But, you know, oh, sorry, 47 crippled, 47 year old cripples. Scott put sweat me really hard once and I keep thinking about it. But anyway, uh, I, I lost my train of thought trying to make a joke on you, Scott. Why you fucked me up? <laughs> oh no, yeah, they 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 come in here and they, and they get smashed, right? And they're like, oh man, I love your training. Your training. I come from this school, and then they start to tell me how good their coach is. And I'm like, they don't hear that cognitive dissonance. Like you just got, you've been training for 15 years, and you got mashed by a blue belt who's been training for two years. Mm-hmm. Yet in the same sentence, you'd want to tell me how good your coach is. I don't think you understand what coaching is. If one of my 15 year old, 15 year, you know, your black belts went to your school and your two-year blue belt, I would rethink my life. Like I, I, my whole life would have to change. And me as a coach, I'd be like, you're a failure. You need to learn how to do your job. But anyway, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the, que- the, <laughs> the another question would be, and I know it's, uh, it might sound pro- provocative, but I, I don't believe jujitsu can be taught. <laughs> well, actually, I don't think anything can be taught. I think it's self-learning is everything. I think what a good coach does is they guide that process with, in my opinion, invariance. They take what is known and they put their students in that zone with which with what is known and they let them interact with it. That's how we go beyond reinventing the wheel. Like if you had them start from 1885, yeah, they have to reinvent the fucking wheel. But if we take as coaches all our details that we know, all these magic little things that we can do. We don't use them to explain what they should do. We use them to create a robust practice with a rich information source that we can plug our students into and they can pick up that information and and learn those details for themselves. That's what makes a good coach, to know how to manipulate that process. So I guess it's just our goal is to – well, I I guess our goal is to point people in the direction in which they can discover how fucking powerful this is. That's right. We all know it. and. that's that's been the tricky part for the last you know ten years, and the reason I, I started teaching classes recently, and every time every time I teach a class, I see my sales go up tremendously on my product, and the reason is is because I have an hour to work with people and to explain, and a lot of people come from different areas. Like, I, okay, I've heard about what you're doing, I, I'm I'm interested in learning, and then when with the end of the hour. They're going home and they're on their phone. Okay, I want to learn more about this kind of stuff. 
in online sales, it's really fucking hard because you have 30 seconds to try and capture someone's attention and try and explain to them why you do what you do, which is much better. It's, you know, these kind of, you know, podcasts are, are much better if you can get someone to listen to it. But, you know, to, to capture someone's attention on social media for more than fucking five seconds is, is a real difficult battle these days. And I think a lot of people fall for the techniques because you can show a couple techniques really Agreed. quickly and they're like, oh, I want to learn this. Like, oh, yeah, if I buy this, I'm going to know how to do this. Like, no, you got to realize there's a fucking that's like the tip of the iceberg and there's all the fucking bottom of that thing is like all the experience that whoever came up with that anyway had to go through and all the trial and error and mistakes they had to fucking make to finally come to this small little conclusion that's only going to work in a fucking small portion of the time anyway and under certain rare circumstances and then you think you're going to take that and just fucking make that your whole fucking game then you're an idiot uh but it's easy <laughs> for them to, to fall for that you know where it's much harder to to get them and explain them. And that that's what I've noticed that's been so much easier is like running classes or seminars. As soon as, you know, by the time you finish that, they understand. They've asked all the questions. They've seen it and they're like, yeah, okay, I realize exactly now. And I get the same. I've never had a seminar or finish or a class where they're like, I'm still not sure what you were talking about. It's like, no, you, yeah. you realize, you know what I mean? And I think it's great that you you have your school because you're going to do so much, so much of that for people coming around. And hopefully, you know, Everyone watching this gets a chance to come. I might even fucking come around too. I think I've got to go to, I don't know how far Maryland is from New York because I'm four hours geographically retarded. Is that by by a car? Yeah, four hours. We're four hours south of New York, the city anyway. Well, I think I think I might be going there before uh, Christmas or at least shortly after. So when I do come, I will definitely uh, come past and get some training with you guys as well, which would be great. Be perfect, but hopefully man. more people fucking do that because it's just such a, untapped resource of learning right now and uh it just like i said earlier i'm grateful and i'm shocked still i'm grateful because it's allowed me to actually have a position in where i am right now because if everyone learned the way we're talking there's no way that i would be able to be training two times a week three times a week and still competing with the best people or you know or fucking hold my own there's just no way when people are training you know most athletes are training you know when i was doing camps i remember doing one at atos years ago and they were training like twice a day, five times a week, six times a week, even sometimes, maybe sometimes three times a day. It was like a, a class in the morning, and then they would do uh, strength and conditioning, and then do a class at night. And they were two hour classes. It's crazy. And just fucking, no, I wanted to die. Like literally, I never, I've never felt like I hated jujitsu as much as what I did then. I, yeah, I, I feel like I went backwards and I became very rigid and predictable with what I was doing because they because I was there. I had to do the t the drilling that they were doing, and I felt like I got far worse than what I'd ever been in my life. I was glad that was over. No, I completely agree, man. But you know, I I've been at this battle for a minute, trying to trying to give his people as much information as I can. I've been being as open with my time as possible. Like I said, I'm on the phone for free for hours a day, trying, trying, trying to do as many podcasts as possible, trying to make mistakes in front of people so they can see that it's, it's all about reaching out and trying. And, you know, even if you're wrong, even if you have to go correct mistakes, even if your students fail, it's all just trying to reach out and say, hey, look, there's a thing, there's a thing we can all get engaged in. It's not some special, you know, you don't have to buy this. You can start trying it now. But anyway, I don't know. I'm trying to get out there too, man. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a struggle. So- at least we're we're all struggling together, I guess. <laughs> I think the social media aspect's interesting, right? Because it's kind of a there's a couple of things going on there. We're using it to try and get our word out, and um, there's this thing that you know you, you watch maybe a, a clip or someone and someone's showing a technique, and you think you know. Um, so so it's a double edged sword, but you know 
the, this reverse classroom model that's kind of, you know, gained traction and people are talking about, we spoke about this too, Greg. This is where social media can be very, very powerful. It, we're, we're all running a reverse classroom, so to speak. And it actually sure. fits in nicely with what we're doing. If you have an opportunity to come in and try some shit you saw on Instagram this morning, it's actually it really supplements learning well. Yeah, I mean, well, I think, well, the only thing in my in my case, I would just argue not against it because I do. I think we're all using reverse classroom. We're taking our inspirations. We're taking our ideas. We're taking the things we see and we're trying to replicate them here in the room when we come in. Uh, I think the only issue about talking about any of that is uh, the, the thing I am opposed to is two things. One, an idealized model of behavior. I don't believe in it. Um, and two, explicit instruction as the sole means of getting someone good at something. So those two things I'm, I don't support in any way, shape or form. And I think, and, and, but that's what I mean. That's why, you know, it depends which way you look at it. I think if it's, if it's uh, drawing a, a student's attention or learner's attention and intention is something that, that's interested them that day, they're going to come and engage with this kind of, yeah. oh, I've seen this, this little bit of novelty. I'm going to come and fucking try this in open roles or whatever. I think it can be really powerful. So I think, um, when, when people talk, you know, cause this, the reverse classroom is getting a lot of, uh, uh, chatter too um I, I think there's elements of that 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 uh, you know fall into the ecological space quite nicely but again to your point it can also uh go the other way you know can you, can you sure. guys explain to me what what's reverse classroom i don't think i've heard that term um so reverse classroom is just the idea that you take information external to your class and you bring it into a classroom setting and you work on it Okay. So let's imagine like you watch the Lachlan Giles DVD. You're like, hey, Lachlan, that's a pretty cool inside heel hook you got there. And I like your setup and explanation for it. Tomorrow when I go into my gym, I'm going to get my buddy and we're going to work on that. And uh, then they come. Uh, yeah, that's all it is. It's just yeah. taking an information source external to your class and then bring it into your class and using that as your mode or your model for for interaction. Yeah. And again, yeah. all that stuff is good and all. It's not, not you know, it's it's all good. It's all good. Okay. Getting in there and doing live work is is what we need to be doing. We need to be inspired to engage. We need to be interested in our subject matter. We need to have fun with practice. We need all those things. But I'm arguing that it has to be live. It doesn't need to be explicit. Static drilling does not work. And there is a scientific framework that we can use to answer these tr traditional problems in a more um, digestible way than what we're being told currently. Yeah, I agree. I, I see too many students. I, I, I'm I'm so familiar with patterns in rolling where I can almost tell like when I roll with certain students and I'll say to them, I'm like, you've been watching Gordon Ryan. hundred percent. You know, these guys, you just feel like a, a really cheap imitation of it. And it's making- Because that's what they are. Yeah. And it just makes it so much easier for me because I'm like, ah, cool. Now I know exactly what he's going to do. And it's, it's much easier. I've rolled with Gordon. Gordon's the best guy I've ever rolled with. And he is phenomenal because he is- Everything that like we talk about, he is that at the high level, you know, his problem solving yep. ability and his ability to like, to psychologically, you know, make decisions in a split second, are phenomenal. It's very improvisational and it's very soft, very relaxed. Yep. Uh, I've competed against a lot of really good guys and rolled with a lot of good guys. And some of them are, most of them are just very athletic dudes that are going to try and outwork you for for 10 minutes and hopefully get you so tired that they can win the match. Um, and then occasionally there's someone like him that feels like he's moving very soft and he's very, you know, there's times where I'm like, I'm holding him back from passing my guard. And then I realize, no, I'm not. This motherfucker is just wait, holding his weight there and he's, he's waiting for me to spend my energy holding him back. And then when I let that go and realize, you know, he's going to start changing things. There's a lot of really cool things he was doing. And even asking him questions, I, I could tell straight away, he knows exactly what he's talking about through experience. For through sure. Experience. It's nothing that someone's taught him. No matter what I hear him say, 
I can tell it's from his own experience because he had very specific answers that suited everything he does. For sure. I mean, you, I, you I would go. Just... Sorry, Greg. Go ahead. No, please, Scott. No, no. Please. No, so I, I would go further than that. He, he may be able may be able to articulate that. You know, I'm on. A, I don't know if you've started, Greg. I just started. Uh, Sapolsky's uh, book, Determined. So I think we might be all be telling each other fanciful stories here, but um, this is also a, an issue, right? That, that high level athletes will come up with these narratives and these stories and they'll be able to tell stories about how they've got so good. And um, a lot of it's probably, you know, operating under the hood. Implicit. All of that I think is operating under the hood. I think the, the, all the explicit descriptions for why what's happening is ad hoc. It's all after the fact. You didn't know that before you started acting. You know, again, this is why I'm just obsessed with the ecological approach. I, I won't stop because it's like you start with an intention, you learn how to focus your attention, you coordinate a movement, you stabilize the movement, you challenge the movement, you adapt the movement. It's it's what everybody's doing. Like, and then later you can reflect on it and you can create uh, an explanation through analysis. But analysis has to ha- ha- happens after the fact, after we already have something present in front of us, as we thought about, it, as we tried it, as we've done all the stuff with it, we get a product. And then we look back and we say, this is the product. I think the problem is trying to describe how we got there because we don't really know, again, nonlinear pedagogy. We don't know the input-output ratio. The, the input is not proportional to the output. It just isn't. We don't know what that is. So it's very hard to say that this caused this beyond I tried to do this continuously until I got this and I adjusted accordingly. That's the most true statement that anybody ever makes about anything they do. And so if you think about a guy like Gordon, fuck all the DVDs, forget everything. What do we have? A young, motivated guy who wants to be the best in the world, who trains with a very informed coach who designs a lot of live practice. He touches all the best bodies in the world. He competes everywhere that he can. He's full, he, he believes in everything that he's doing and he's fully invested and intelligent about the way he goes about it. No shit. Like all that stuff is why Gordon Ryan is Gordon Ryan. And, and he's constantly thinking about it. I've never seen anyone that, you know, like I, I would leave training and I'd think about certain things that go wrong in my my training. But once I've solved that, I, I move on. But he is always thinking about it. Because he wants to be the best at it. Like when he yeah. when he arm locks you, he doesn't want you to get out of his arm lock. He wants to be able to say, I can, I can touch you and I arm lock you and you never get out. I know that's his goal because you can see how obsessed he is with it. And we actually talk about the same thing here. Like uh, we have a little, we're, we're putting out a video later on about like kind of just our, our lifestyle standard jitsu type thing. And, and DeAndre was asked, because, you know, when, when De- and DeAndre and I were first talking about what's the goal of jujitsu, and I told him, I was like, the goal is the death touch. Like the goal is to literally touch your opponent and annihilate them immediately, right? That's the goal. Now, of course, it's ridiculous and it can't be done, but that's the goal. Because if, if you could grab a hold of somebody, sling them on the ground, climb to the shoulders and break their arm every single time you touch them, you would. Mm-hmm. You would become the one punch man if you could. <laughs> and that's what we're all trying to be. So someone like Gordon, I guarantee is. You can see it in his focus. Yeah, yeah. I I was teaching class the other day and I was training and one of the girls asked me, brand new girl, she's like, are you a dancer? I'm like, Definitely not. And like, why should you move so elegant? I say, but that's like my goal with like, with everything. And like, my goal is the exact same as yours, but in a more, and I articulate it differently where you say death touch, mine is to be able to beat anyone without using any energy, without having to have any kind of resistance. Of course, I'm never going to do it, but like when I'm rolling, I'm always trying to go with it. And the more I do that, the more it becomes smooth and like a flow and like a dance. And it's like, it has a rhythm to it and a music to it. Uh, and I, I love that. And it's probably like talking about Gordon. It's one of the best things I like about Gordon is he doesn't he doesn't look like he's using much energy. He looks very. It is not. He's not super quick. He's not super explosive. 
he's you know, he looks at he's a strong guy he's you know he's jacked as fuck but he doesn't feel like he ever abuses any of that he's just very smooth compared to like him and galval galval looked like a fucking bull and was trying to do everything physical with him and gaudio the same thing it's like when you have someone that's so technical and just so good at understanding what where he is and leverage and all that kind of stuff and has such a good instinctual ability it's like it's hard to to beat to 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 do that and no. go on I mean, as in not to jump on the Gordon Dick with you, but I would say the exact same thing. I mean, I, I trained with him back in 2016, and uh, this is right when I started making my full transition into no-gi grappling. This is when I started my, you know, I was hitting pretty hard with the ecological stuff over here at my school, and that's when I had the conversation with Danaher that eventually led me to just saying, fuck it, and going full tilt with everything that I was doing. Because um, Danaher actually is the one who inspired me to move forward, because I wasn't having much confidence then. And Say what? What did, what did he say? What did you say to him? Well, I'll, actually, I'll tell you that uh, in a second. Uh, so yeah, I trained with Gordon and I had, I, I went there like a day before I had knee surgery. I had to have my whole left knee redone and it was dislocating if I crossed my feet. So I was like kind of scared, but I put like three knee braces on. I taped the shit together and I was like, I, I trained with him. And at the time he was 230 uh, and we did close guard specific rounds. So the goal was top player pass, bottom player sweep, submit or back take. Uh, that was kind of the goal of the round. And so he was extremely patient. Like he was much bigger than me at the time. I mean, I was like 170. He was 230. It was, it was, and, but he, even though he was that much bigger than me, it didn't feel imposing like that. He tried to move with me and whatever. Uh, and I kept like destabilizing to his butt. Like every time he tried to open up, destabilize, destabilize him. Until one time I put a butterfly hook in to try to sit up and he body locked the life out of me. I mean, like literally I couldn't move like a child. And he was so strong and he held me there, but it was so easy. Like he didn't, he didn't rush it. He waited till it presented itself. He just kept focused on his task, hit the movement, passed my guard. And that was the round. That was actually our whole round together was that one action. Uh, uh-huh. But I was really impressed with his pace, with his attitude, with his approach. Uh, I enjoyed training with him. You know, it was, yeah. it was, it was nice. But, um, but yeah, so afterwards I talked to Dan Herb and I was like, Hey man, uh, how do you know that you're right? Like when you create these systems and you put these, this, this information out, how do you know that you're on the right path? And he said, I don't, he's like, I use trial and error. He's like, come up with an idea. I put it to play. He's like, sometimes we go six months in the wrong direction and we have to turn around and start over again. He's like, but we gain information along the way and then we adapt with that information. And he's like, he's like, every time I put something out, I put a system out. He's like, I, I, I think, oh, it sucks. People know more than me. He's like, I have the same thing. He's like, but again, we all have that. So just move forward. And it's funny because I saw him at trials and we made, as I was passing, he made eye contact and he retched his hand out at me. And I shook his hand and I was like, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but back in 2016, and he was like, I do remember you. And he was like, and he leaned down and he said the same thing to me that he said to me in 2016. <laughs> he oh. was like, you take the information in front of you, you extrapolate out of it what you can get and you keep moving in that right direction. Learn how to trust yourself. And he said, you're doing it. He said, you're doing a fantastic job with your students. He shook my hand and we walked, I walked away from him. Awesome. That just happened like two weeks ago. So, you know, I really appreciate, even though that we come from different frameworks, like, you know, he's an IP guy, I'm an EA guy. We both are working in the same direction towards our same goal. We're obsessed with jujitsu. We want to produce great students. And I think, I mean, whether he ever thought about me again, who fucking knows, but I feel like there's mutual respect and I have mutual respect for him. I have respect for him regardless because he produces great guys and, you know, um, so yeah, anyway, yeah. So it was great. It touches down on something that every time I speak to someone, the better they are, whatever the craft they do. And I ask them a very specific question, the more likely they're going to give me an answer. It's like, yeah, it depends. Depends, you know, yep. and I, I think that's something that everyone has to quickly learn with everything is everything is so subjective. 
to the time, to, you know, as you were saying before, to the environment, to everything, you have to take in all different things. You know, certain people will start a business, you know, in 2019, and then you're like, fuck, man, he's successful. I'm going to start the same business. But whatever he did, if you imitated the same thing, it's not going to work. Yeah. I try to tell everyone who asks me that, they're like, can you give me a list of games? Can you give me a list of games? I was like, dude, I'm eventually going to make content, but I'm going to teach you how to make them because there is, this is not a one size fits all game, man. Like, yeah, I I can whet your appetite with 37 different games. I'm not making fun of you here. I'm just simply saying I could give you 37 different games. What'd you say, man? It's 57. All right. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm going to give you 57 games to skyrocket your training and, you know, fuck. I mean, I could do that. I really could. And I, I think that, again, that's why your product's great. If people just want, something to buy they want to get started there it doesn't matter where you start pick somebody who believes in live resistance look at what they have to say and see if you can learn from what they're saying like again someone asked me you know is kit stuff ecologically sound because i have a lot of people who are you know are in on the science and i said no but it doesn't mean that what he has to say isn't valuable i was like i think the value here is that he took his own knowledge and applied it that teaches us a lot and so if you buy his stuff and you can see how he looks at it and why he chose the games that he chose and the effect that he has, there's value there, you know, whether it's reflective of a framework or not. So um and I, yeah. I also the main the main thing in that product is, and I stress it the most, is teaching people how to create their own games based on what they need. And right. I think that's the most important thing. Whenever I'm teaching anyone, it's like I'm not just throwing a game at him. I'm like, hey, where where does he need work? What do we, and I try and craft a game on the right. spot that's gonna. Or I, I watch people roll a lot of the time, and I'll see little you know problems in it. So instead of saying, hey, brother, what you're doing here is you're doing that, it's like, no, we're gonna start here. This is gonna be the game now. Play with that, and they figure it out themselves. So the the For one sure. thing I do in that product, and the, the most important part of that product, is I try and teach people how to identify problems in their own game and create games based around that to their own experience or their students' experience. So I 100% agree with you with that. Yeah, I wasn't trying to like shortcut. No, 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 no. I just want to elaborate on that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And people are listening. If you get this far into our two-hour conversation, um, you know, yeah, I'm not suggesting anything negative about Kit's product. Uh, It's so interesting. Like, I when I speak, I have to be cautious. I like to speak directly, and a lot of people charge me for a lot of different reasons about that. They tell me, you know, Greg's a fucking asshole. He's abrasive. Well, all this stuff may be true. But again, I'm just trying to be direct and trying to be honest with what I think about something. But again, I'm not disparaging your product. It's just, you know. No, no. Look, honesty is the most important thing. And I try and do the same thing like with whatever I'm doing. But I also try and explain to people that it's my opinion. You know, everything is my opinion and I back my own opinion, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know, I give a lot of notes to people that write scripts and they send it to me. And uh, and I'm very, I'm like you with that. Like I'm going to give you my honest opinion and I'm going to like rip everything apart that I see. I'm not even going to comment on the things that I like. I'm going to look at everything I think that doesn't work, but also understand that this is just my opinion. It's my honest opinion, but it doesn't mean it's right. And then I just go fucking blast them. Sure. I take it a lot better knowing that. But if you, if you, you know, if someone just sent me their script and I gave them the same kind of feedback that I, without explaining that, then they can take it <laughs> really the wrong way. No, it's the same way. It's like, you know, I, I've done all these podcasts. And I've tried to share my thoughts in a million different ways. And one thing I've always urged people is don't let me be your single source of information because that's not what I'm trying to be. Uh, but again, people don't listen when you, people actually speak and they're like, oh, he thinks he knows everything. Like, actually, I don't. If you, I'm just going to send him to Scott. I'll be like, Scott, um, when Mr. Souders text messages you and send you little voice messages on Instagram because he's getting so secure, he's going to jump off a cliff. Uh, what do you tell him to keep him stable? <laughs> Scott, <laughs> is my, big, Scott is my guy who's been trying to good you know keep good. me on the straight and narrow but yeah no so no i think people <laughs> need to realize that they are the they should be the source of information no agreed yes. it should be i argue it should be the environment your experience in the environment is the thing that matters the most 
learning how to manipulate that is a nice cherry on top, which will give you control over an otherwise uncontrollable thing, or at least some control. But it's the environment that has all the information. Not Kit Dale, not Scott Savoy, not Greg Souders. We're just guys that are learning how to communicate with the live environment so we can create better practices for all of you so you don't have to waste your time static drilling 10,000 reps of the long step pass. Yeah, yeah. The What is it? The Vilfredo Prado rule. 80% of, results, 80%. 80% of your results come from 20% of your actions. And I feel like what we've done is taken that 20% and made it the 100% of what your actions are, which is what it should have been. Before we Agreed. shamelessly plug your product here, you mentioned the word craft, and I, I think to point, I think you know you're you're the first to market here. Uh, it's going to have a lot of value for people who are getting in the space. But if we just then say, okay, we're going to uh, reject all the the technique based instructionals and go to games based and just copy and regurgitate games, I don't think that's that moves the ball that far up the field. You mentioned the word craft. I think that's where the craft and coaching comes now is being able to uh, appropriately challenge your learners and and design new games on the fly. But to the point, to the point there, you're you're you being putting out your product here is going to give a lot of people ideas from that, but not to get married to the games specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. Like, like uh, I, I try to use a lot of the games as demonstrations of what you should be doing when it comes to learning task-based games the way I teach them and the way I do them. So uh, it's not so much that like people are going to get that and oh, I've got the you know kids fifty-four games and I'm set. So no, no, no. If you and it's this is the the hard truth. There could be a fucking million games, depending on who you are and what you. And there need. is a million games, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's 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 more teaching someone how to formulate games for themselves and how to become, uh, you know, their own coach, so to speak. And this is something that I was very good with doing naturally. Is I would know where I needed problem, where I needed work, and I would force myself to work in those situations. So I'm doing basically, I'm forcing people to do what I did naturally and I had the discipline to do, but most people don't. Uh, either they don't have the awareness or they don't have the discipline. And uh, for me, I was very good at that. So I would know, look, I'm struggling in this position, in this certain situation. So I would fucking just force that all the time. And I'm really good. I'm really manipulative when it comes to who I'm rolling with and when I'm rolling. Like I choose every single partner. Uh, and uh, I also dictate where we're training, and it's always for me to get the best out of myself. And like I, I train with a lot of Dagestan wrestlers right now. Do you think I do any jiu-jitsu with them? Fuck no, I couldn't give a fuck about learning. You know, but I, I go, let's go wrestle, you know. And that's where I'm going to learn the most. There was a, uh, I forget this guy's name, Ty Lopez, I think it was. He was talking about the time he spoke to um, Elon Musk, and he's like, first time I got to speak to Elon Musk, and he's talking to him for like 20 minutes, and he was fucking just loving it, telling him all about his ideas and that. And then Elon's like, hey, man, great speaking to you. i got to run. And then Ty's like sitting there like, fuck, man, I just got a chance to speak to Elon Musk. And all I did was talk about myself the whole time. And I didn't learn one thing. And what I'm very good at doing in discipline is like, if you think about jiu-jitsu, I'm not there to like in training to demonstrate my best qualities against these people and dominate them. I mean, I'm, I'm there to like make it the best environment for me to train so that I can learn the most. And most of even like the the highlight stuff that I that I put is is just like me just fucking around and trying to do different things and playing around and it's like I'm not really competing with these guys if I you know if I do that it's a very different type of role and it's not fun and I don't learn near as much um but I I I really try and stress to people that like the most important thing is to create an environment for yourself 
to develop as fast as you can with as little effort as you can because that should be the goal. People always say, oh, yeah, but it's a, the journey is important. It's like I'm not, not telling you to rush <laughs> the journey. I'm saying, the journey would be much fucking more, uh, you you're going. more enjoyable and you'll know exactly where you're going and you'll get there a lot quicker and and, and it's not even getting there a lot quicker because the journey is going to keep moving on. You're going to move that. Once you get there, you're going to realize, fuck, man, I'm a really good black belt now. I want to be an elite black belt. Then you're an elite black. I want to be a world-class black belt. Then I want to be a you know better than you know whatever, whatever it is. But you're always going to move those those things, but you're going to get there better and it's better for longevity. You don't want to be like, you know, 47 years old and like using like uh, Lucas Barbosa's approach to most of the stuff. I love, I love, don't get me wrong. I like Lucas, and, but uh, you know, he's a very athletic, very strong dude. You do that at 47, you're going to end up fucking shitting yourself on the mat or something like that. Uh, so I think it's important to, to develop a very, um, you know, uh, uh, physically economical approach to jujitsu. And uh, and really understand jiu-jitsu in a way that you don't need to be athletic and don't need to be fast and and in a way that you're not going to hurt yourself. So I think this is the by far the best approach. But like we say, it's there's no system to it. You know, we could do that. You know, and I, 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 me and Greg could go out there and create uh, 500 games for you as a coach to to run your students through, and it'll be better than 99.9 percent of what most coaches are going to do anyway. But the best they could do is by micromanaging their actual students, and which is much harder. And it's knowing where your students are at and what they all need to work on individually and creating games for them to play to so that they can figure those kind of things out. But that's a lot of work, you know. And if you've got a class of 60 fucking people or 100 people, good luck, you know. But the better coaches are the ones that are going to put their time into each student and understand the student better than they know themselves. And, you know, and have games ready. And that's one thing when I did, when I was coaching, I was very good at when we, when we, and we called a positional sparring back then, whenever we did it, I always gave them objectives silently to each other. And I would always say, like, I would go to one of them, like, okay, this is what you're going to work on today. I want you to just be trying to work on the, I don't tell the other guy because then it would be harder and make it less uh, organic. I'd always try and tell one individual that way it's, it's real. If he gets it, it's real, you know? If I tell you, okay, uh, Greg, you're going to work on Kimuras today, and and then Scott hears that, you're going to fucking be like, okay, good luck, work on your Kimuras, you little fuck, you know, in in that wide varied sense. For sure. Uh, but I would always I would always do that. But I knew exactly where my students were at, what they needed to work on, and I'd always be like, but I didn't have sixty in my class, thank God. Otherwise, it'd be much harder. But at the same time, that's not what I wanted to be doing because that would become my whole life, and um, I, I have too many fucking other hobbies. Uh, right now, but it sounds like Greg. That's you know that's you right now. Well, well, I, I'm trying. That's the goal. That's where I'm trying to go. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's got to be more than situational sparring. We need a framework. We need a guide. It, we need to be objective. You know, one of the things that the the ecological psych guys are doing right now is they're trying to merge together uh, the researchers, the theoretical uh, writers, and then the coaches themselves. And so, you know, to really, to get the most out of our athlete, it's like, we need to approach the problem from a myriad of ways. So we need to be scientifically informed. We need to be boots on the ground interacting with our individual students. And we need to have some way to assess ourselves as coaches. If we have all three of those things, um, we can become better coaches. And that's, again, that's the spot of spot I'm trying to fill. And then of course, you know, communicating with guys like you to see what you're doing. You know, how are you solving this problem? How are you affecting your students? You know? So, and then putting us all together in a room, all the, all of us guys, we can be the mastermind, so to speak. I'm just joking about your, you know, Keenan's recent podcast with Lloyd and them, mm -hmm. but about the live resistance guys, you know, 
to create pra a better practice for our students. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to take it beyond its simplest form and trying to make it something deeper. I like it. Well, this didn't. This turned into a bit of a three-way circle jerk. I was hoping for a bit more headbutton, but um, hey, <laughs> as do they all. Well, I don't know. I know. I, I, you know, the whole. I think it's just important to see different perspectives, right? Like, you know, I'm going to come at it a little differently than than Kit is, and he's going to come at it a little differently than I am. We can, but but we can still agree that live resistance is the best way to go about it. Um, whether you use task or you know Kit's task-based games, or you eventually come over to the dark side with me uh, and you see task-based games through an ecological framework um, either way we're going to make better students because we're having them do live resistance and you know that's the important thing hey when's your first movie coming out well first movie that i make hopefully what is it 2023 now i think 2025 we'll see it i think we'll get into um pre-production probably start of next year i have three ready to go right now uh and i'm going to work my way up from the smaller ones to the bigger ones because it's just, uh, the hardest thing about filmmaking and and the film industry compared to jiu-jitsu is like jiu-jitsu you can go okay i want to get good at jiu-jitsu you get good you can prove yourself in tournaments film it's like you can get as good as you want but uh you don't don't get the opportunity to, to compete and you've got to be very lucky you got to randomly meet some fucking guy on the street that you've just fucking walks in the same direction as you that happens to be able to help you just you know connect you to this person to connect you to this person it's really who you know you know there's a lot of people that get opportunities because they know somebody but they're flashing the pans because they're not good and i want to make sure that i'm working my fucking ass off harder than i've worked on anything in my life with this writing and filmmaking so that when that does happen i'm like ready to go so if i get one movie right now i'm like i got fucking three more and i'm writing a script right now a, a fourth one uh, fifth one, sorry. So I think it'll happen pretty quick. It's just, it's, uh, we had a, a standstill with the writer strike that happened for like fucking 100 days. And now the actors strike and the actors uh, about to uh, talk to studios again on the 24th. What's today? Yeah, tomorrow they're going to talk. So hopefully that strike will end and then Hollywood can start up again. But there's a lot of really shitty things in Hollywood right now that, you know, beyond striking, uh, just the climate and, in you know the diversity push and uh it's just it's honestly this is gonna sound bad but it's the worst time to be a straight white white male actor or artist in in the world right now it's just you just push to the back of every single line and uh it just it is what it is what it is so i got a lot of things going against me but i'm gonna get so good that it's just like eventually it's like it doesn't matter you just can't ignore me you know the stories will speak uh, speak themselves so i'm loving it really enjoying it but it's definitely going to be the most work i've had to do to get something um in my whole life but it'll also be rewarding as well on that end but i'm really so excited like i said i love jiu-jitsu i love coaching but the moment this takes off this is this will be the, <laughs> all i'm doing and that'll premiere on pornhub yes okay. yes I've been I've been kind of disappointed with the lack of dick jokes today. This is what you've become synonymous with. Well, it's because I'm around and I'm not funny. You two are funny, and anytime I enter a room, I just stink it up with stupid seriousness. No dick jokes, no Australian humor, just science. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a judicial guy. I read the environment. I see where we are, what's going on, what's appropriate, and then go with it. <laughs> I don't know if you caught my Craig Jones one, but I think that was all dick jokes. Yeah, yeah, That's pretty much. Yeah, we were we were talking about it. We were talking about it today. Yeah, I don't yeah. listen to the that podcast but one of my students does and um he was talking about your episode and then the keenan episode we we're talking about it this morning 
Keen, the Keenan episode was good. I, I really enjoyed that. It was very insightful. Uh, I've, I've known Keenan for a while. Um, we competed for, for a few years, but uh, I, I actually enjoyed his podcast. But the podcast we did was very quick. It was only a 45-minute one. He had to go to flight real quick, and I had to get back to L.A., um but we didn't really speak about a lot honestly it was just a lot of stories and shit talking it was <laughs> not an informative uh jiu-jitsu podcast i think but got a lot of very good feedback though and i got a lot of fucking followers from it as well so it helped but it's more of just a fun podcast than anything yeah for sure all, all right well now. sounds like a good time to circle up um again Finish off with your uh, plug on your task-based games. Uh, you're never off my fucking Facebook and Instagram feed kit, so I don't need to know about it. But for any of those listening, my marketer is doing doing his job good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you would like to learn more about this and uh, check out my games, you can go to kitdaletraining.com and check out task-based games, uh, latest product. It goes for about four and a half hours. I have, I think, 54 different task-based games in there and teach you how to create your own games yourself um and just really trying to move the uh the learning jiu-jitsu in different areas same as, as greg and stuff so i think it's a really good stepping stone for anyone out there wanting to have a look into that kind of stuff i do have like a lot of testimonials on there i got a heap of uh example <laughs> videos as well some crazy testimonials but it's good and greg you're working on your own thing or am i yeah, man. speaking uh, ahead of myself no 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 we've been uh in the background working it's kind of we've just been deciding which direction to go in like i got a i got reached out uh, BJ Fanatic reached out to me and some other stuff. So I don't know. We were just trying to decide which direction we want to go. And we've been doing stuff in the background. Uh, the issue with me is I've been so focused on my guys over the last year trying to reach this goal that we had. So now that the this little part of the year is over, I'll be able to take a breath and start getting back to the content. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to be doing something similar. Uh, it's just that we're going to be doing an ongoing thing, uh, you know, using a, another task-based games framework through an ecological lens. Um, and so you guys, all you guys, anyone who listens to this already knows who I am and, you know, just keep on a lookout. We'll be getting to you guys soon. They and might then, not because I'll be sharing this. So they might not remember. Might be oh. some of my fans that don't. Oh, yeah. so in case there are. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, what I do a similar thing with, with, with uh, we create games for our students by focusing their intention and attention uh, uh, through the use of invariants or invariant features in the environment. And <laughs> this is uh, how we create our games. So, you know, uh, you know, we have some content available right now on our IG, just some old stuff we did last year. Uh, but we're going to be putting a whole different thing together for coaches and people who want to be coaches to learn how to create their own and to understand the science more deeply and to get past the usage of all the jargon and the stuff that's difficult to understand. Um, and just try to give people a more clear picture on how we can use the ecological approach, to develop sound practices without overwhelming our students with useless, nonsensical language. <clears throat> Yeah, and likewise, I'm going to be building something out uh, for the MMA space, which, um, in my opinion, is even, you know, further behind. But it has its own its own set of uh, issues, you know, that, that that don't pertain to grappling. So. Very cool. Are you? Uh, I just back with you. What you're doing, Greg? I, I think you should do a fucking. Um, I think that's what you're saying. A, uh, a subscription based program that's what we're working on yeah i think it's a fucking no-brainer like i would do that a hundred a hundred times out of fucking a hundred if i if i was teaching classes all the time that's exactly what i do i think like looking at lachlan lachlan moved to submeta same sort of thing i think programs programs like what i did is good for people like me uh where i don't have the time to like and i'm not not teaching full-time but if i was teaching full-time it would be a subscription-based model i think it's just fucking far better and I wouldn't go with uh, 
BJJ fanatics. I think I told you that myself as well. I would do it yourself. I think you uh, you sure. have the reach and the capabilities to do that, and you're going to lose a big percentage. And they're not going to push, you know, a lot of your stuff. I don't think as hard as what you imagine they would on there. Oh yeah. no, for sure. We, you know, we really. Will. I want control of my own product. I mean, part of the reason why I did all this talking for free and I did all these podcasting and just give information out is because I kind of feel like if it's free, I can control it. So I can get people convinced beyond the sales and marketing. I can show you real information in real time uh, based on its actual utility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to keep control of that. I don't want uh, anyone to take that away because I want to be able to change as the science changes. So I feel like, um, you know, with a subscription-based model, it'll be much easier to, to, to stay current, to stay fluid, to make sure we're adapting to what's happening in real time and real environments as we learn new things. And so I don't want something to be stuck in time. Uh, yeah, you know, I want to be able to adapt and move. There's a lot of things on the internet that I would remove if I had the patience <laughs> to go and find it, bro. Sometimes I find my, my first videos back in like 2010 and like talking about jujitsu stuff. I won't even listen to them because I'm like, oh fuck, this would be cringe as fuck. <laughs> yeah, because we all we, we learn as you go, right? Who the, yeah. who the fuck we were doing? It's the worst. I go to a seminar and they're like, oh yeah, bro. So I, I've got your, you know, I I've got your product, and I'm like, oh, which one? And they're like, they'll talk about one that I brought out in 2012, and I'll just be like. Man, now there's so much shit in between that that I'm gonna have to explain to you. And I just yeah. it's like you get your wallet out, and you start giving them money back. It's like sorry, <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like I, I feel like I, you know the first one I did was with Nick Gregoriatis, and I think it was called Beyond Technique, and it was the yep. first product that was more into a conceptual thing. But like, there's you know I I just feel like I articulate myself a hundred times better now, and the stuff that I'm putting out is so much. The stuff I put out is as good as I can be right now, you know, with the effort I want to put in. You know, that's that's all I always give is like as good. But you know, in two years' time, three years' time, I'll be better at articulating myself. We'll find something else out. We we'll discover something else that's more powerful, or something that we did that wasn't as effective, and just move on and adapt. And I think that's a, the important thing that we have. That is where we're very open with you know when we're right, when we're wrong, when we don't know what we're talking about. That's the most important thing, rather than most coaches out there just claiming they know they're the source of all information and they know everything. You know, they won one black belt world championship and that's it. They listen to them. Don't listen to anyone else that hasn't won a black belt world championship because they don't know nothing. And it's funny, John Danner's that they they consider him the best coach and he's never even competed. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, fellas. All right, boys. I appreciate that. Awesome chat. I'll let you know when this drops. I don't normally put the uh, video out. Um, I'll probably put this on YouTube and then it'll be up on Primal uh, MMA Coaching Podcast. I'll probably just do a quick intro and get this up today. Yeah, sounds perfect. So, Scott, you're the man. Thank you for letting this happen. And Kit, man, let's, we talked about getting together and doing some external bullshit. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Definitely. Yeah, I'm down, bro. Cool. All right, boys. Uh, all the best. Uh, and again, uh, please feel free or please actively share. Helps me out, helps you, helps us all, right? Yeah, yes, whatever sir. you give me, I'll share, bro. Here we go. All right. All right, Scott. Adios. Cheers, you guys. Cheers. Cheers.